Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is Language of the Heart podcast. My name is Gerardo Ramos. I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, Emily Wells, and our brilliant, extremely talented guest, Tianda. That was Thank right. You. Yes? Yes. Great. Perfect. Singer, songwriter, producer, artist extraordinaire. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, great, great. Um, yeah, first off, thanks so much for letting us come into your space and bring everything in to, yeah. to do this. Um, I'm excited to ask you a ton of questions. I just want to know, how are you feeling right now? What's going through your mind? How are you doing? It's cool to have, like, real people in my <laughs> studio for, like, you mm -hmm. know, I haven't been seeing people a lot. So it's just cool to, like, have that new energy in my space. Yeah, I bet. I I'm ready bet. to talk a lot of shit. Cool. Yeah, great. <laughs> Uncensored. <laughs> Uncensored. Yeah. Raw, authentic. Good. Thank you, Tianda. I am excited because I had heard your name a couple of times uh, from Emily, from a few other people as well, but I'd never seen your face. I never, actually, in my mind, I thought you were like this towering person. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just like the name was like, yes, I'm this like gigantic artist. So that's <laughs> the image I had in my head. But the last couple of days I've been, again, uh, pouring over your work, listening to your music, uh, you know, just kind of getting a sense of who you are without having ever met you. So it's weird to like now see you <laughs> yeah. and be able to talk to you. But I love it because like I really, I really, there's something that connected uh, with me with your music. And I'd love to be able to like just dig in and talk about that. But, I, but I'm getting a thousand steps ahead of myself. I think um, a nice place to start might be to, to just simply ask like, why art? Why have you dedicated your life and your work to art? I think that's still a question that I ask myself all the time um, because it's, it can seem so daunting to be like, I'm gonna shoot for the stars and try to be one in seven billion who actually you know, does it with art. But when I look back to being a kid, some of the first memories I have are like sitting on my couch and just singing songs or like making my family watch me dance in the living room and I just like, always had these songs in my head. And so as soon as I figured out that I could write them down and sing them to people, I was like, I want to do that. And I don't mm. necessarily always know why, but um, when people reach out to me and they say like, I connected with something you said, or you inspired me to do it, I think that's the why for me now. Like that's what I'm beginning to understand. Mm. Nice. So what was like, what was like the age you started exploring art, music or drawing or painting? Yeah. Um, I, th I think I started drawing in like grade one. I remember like art class oh. was super inspiring for me. I didn't really understand music until a little bit later. Um, I started writing my first songs in like grade six. I remember I wrote a song about like my friend's horse dying for like a class project. Oh, wow. um, and then I was like, oh, I really enjoyed that. I had to sing it in front of the class and it got good feedback. And then from mm -hmm. there, I was just writing every day, every single day, just had to do it. That's incredible. Yeah. Goodness. And you're based in Edmonton now, but mm -hmm. I know that you were you were born in BC, close and close. around there. Okay, yeah. if you can, what was what what was your family dynamic like? And if you can just give us a glimpse of this little, I'm just imagining this grade six or singing in front of their class. That, yeah, that takes guts. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I kind of had a weird childhood in that I was born in the city and I was in school for um, elementary school. You know, like sharing music with people and all that, and then. Um, at sort of the end of elementary school, my parents were like, we want to live on an acreage in the middle of nowhere in a village of 1,500 people um, oh, wow. with, you know, dial-up speed internet, satellite TV, not the best cell phone coverage, like middle of nowhere, 
far from everyone. And so my life completely changed. I went from being around my friends all the time to being completely by myself and homeschooling. So mm. I, I spent a lot of time in isolation mm. as a kid. And I think that's where a lot of like the inspiration to make art came from, because what else am I going to do? My internet's too slow to like go on YouTube or play Neopets or whatever my friends were doing at the time. Mm. Um, so I just spent a lot of time exploring my own mind. And I think that's part of the reason why quarantine has been good for me, because I've been training for it my whole life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was that was my family upbringing, just uh, really quiet, um, not a lot of technology. And my parents really encouraged that like independent thinking and exploration of art and creativity. So I feel really lucky for that. Mm. No, no, sorry, just so I can kind of clear up. Uh, you said that you'd moved at the end of grade six. So that was in Edmonton. No, I was born oh. in Medicine Hat, actually. Got you, Medicine yeah. Hat. Yeah, but then I moved to Spruce Grove for like a very brief period of time, mm. and then I moved to BC. So um, eventually I ended oh. up coming back, but most of my like formative growing up years were spent uh, in the village. So when people ask me where I was raised, I usually say there because that's where I grew up. It's where most of my memories are. Got you, I see. Yeah. Nice. Now, was that moving around? Like, do you remember that at all? Were you too young to like realize what that felt like? I definitely knew what it felt like. Um, Cause like elementary school, you meet some of your like best friends at the time, right? And then one day my parents were just like, you're leaving. And I felt oh. like my world was taken away from me. Um, Cause as a kid, that's all you really know is like your friends and the people you go to school with. Mm. Um, but I, I began to really like the isolation and having all the time to just be alone and create. Nice, yeah. Yeah, there's something special about spending time with yourself at a very young age your imagination forms and you're probably you know in that very small city just like immersed in nature and like a smaller city so it's yeah it's a very unique yeah kind of little forming pot of the artist you've become which is cool it was a different lifestyle like i went from living in a, a city a busy city to like living in a log house where we had to chop firewood every morning to heat the house and Whoa. you didn't go outside without a gun because there was bears really? you know like Holy yeah crap. like like wilderness <laughs> so wow. it was it was cool to spend that time and i still feel really connected to nature because of all the time i spent growing up there so do you shoot still like do you know how to i, I never shot i never had okay. to no that was like my dad's kind of thing gotcha. <laughs> I, was, I guess you would have been a child right i so. practiced like definitely <laughs> practiced but would i would i be able to handle a gun in any sort of life-threatening situation absolutely not i would hurt myself gotcha yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm curious like with growing up like in the village were you still like did you still i wonder like did you still see like what was your media influences growing up media influences growing up um i remember i that was when the disney channel was like really popping off so like i was looking up to like demi lovato at the time or like um, Taylor Swift was just kind of popping off at the time that I was beginning to write music. So that was someone that I really looked to for like inspiration. Um, I went through a phase where my whole entire bedroom was posted with the Jonas Brothers. I learned every Jonas Brothers song, just like the classic, like the mm. good Disney stars. The okay. wholesome, uh, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. my main influences back then. Yes. And so you did have like television and internet is this right we did okay. yeah but it was really slow so like um mm. on the internet i could maybe go on like msn but if i was trying to like surf the web and watch videos and stuff it was just always buffering i couldn't like really oh, okay. skype with my friends or anything like that um but i could like view pages and emails that kind of thing mm. um and then like tv sometimes if it wasn't like raining or snowing or too windy like it was satellite so mm. <laughs> it worked when it worked it didn't when it didn't oh, you just wow. kind of learned to do other things like play guitar instead Got you, yeah. Yeah. Was it's the guitar the first instrument you picked up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was the very first. My dad had, like, so many guitars, a whole room full of them. 
And one day he, he went away to work because he worked overseas and I, I took one of his guitars and I tried to learn by myself on the internet. And he came home from work like two months later and I had learned every chord upside down, every single one. And he was oh, like, serious? what are you doing? What? No yeah, way. and then he, I had to relearn it all. But well, I was is it just, because you had like flipped the guitar? Like, no, what way do you I, play it? so I don't know if you've ever looked at tabs before, yeah. but it, it shows you like the dots where to put your fingers. Oh, I just interpreted yeah. it upside down. And, oh and I was God. like, these are all so uncomfortable. Like, why does it all sound <laughs> bad? Like, oh why does my God. wrist hurt? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. But there, it's not, I didn't even like think to like pull up a video. I just looked at tabs and tried to figure it out. So, <laughs> got you. Yeah. Trying yeah. to think how that even works. <laughs> not I well. Know, it's, not well. It's trippy. I have a nephew who like learned. Like the opposite way, he has to play like a right-handed, left-handed? yeah, okay, you know, left-handed guitar, yeah. And then he learned all of the chords upside down on the right-handed way, yeah. and it like <laughs> perplexed my mind. So that, yeah, that, I, yeah, it's unfathomable. Uh, so, do you have any sort of beyond that? Do you have any like teaching or schooling in music otherwise? Mm-mm. Wow. No, I started. I just started learning as I went, like. My philosophy has always been if you want to learn how to make songs, just make songs. And if you make 300 bad songs before you make a good one, well, at least you didn't spend $30,000 to go to school to learn how to do it. Like, you're yeah. going to make 300 bad songs either way. So, wow. in my opinion, like, just do it by yourself. Mm. Now, you've probably come across a variety of artists who some have gone to school, some haven't. Have you had those discussions about, like, the differences and what maybe they gained that mm-hmm. you didn't or vice versa? It's it's pretty clear what the differences are in the creative process when someone has formal training and when they wow. don't. Um, I find when I sit down with someone who has went to like Grant McEwen, for example, one of their strengths is like if they are trying to add chords to a loop, they can be like, oh, theory says it should be these notes. Therefore, I don't get stuck. I can just like figure out the notes in my head and keep going. Whereas like I might get stuck on that for a little while and be like, I have to ear it all. So it's going to take me a while to piece it together. But, so that's one of the advantages, is if you know the theory, you can get unstuck. But if you don't know the theory, I feel like you have, um, you're almost willing to tap into more creative ideas because you don't know the rules. So sometimes when I sit down with people who have a lot of formal training, they're like, well, the rules say I should do this, and so they'll stay in that box. Whereas I have no idea, so I'll just try something until it sounds cool, and then sometimes they'll be like, oh, how did you come up with that? And it's like, well, because I don't, I don't have any I don't, a sandbox to play in. I just throw the sand everywhere. Gotcha. <laughs> Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I feel like what you, like the disadvantages you have, like even your lack in some things, like with photography, I don't have formal training and I'm like, I don't know how to do some technical things. So I would make up for it, especially starting out with my creative ideas. Mm. And then it's, of course, it's it's important to, to know like the technical side of things, but you kind of learn along the way through mm-hmm. trial and error. Yeah. And, and I feel like the more you foster your creative ideas, like if you have a dope idea, it's you don't have to save it with technical proficiency. Like, you don't, I don't have to produce the song to death. The idea is dope. Whereas, like, if you don't have that creative vision, you have to do a lot more work to make it cool with production and, like, technical skill. So mm-hmm. I, I like that way of thinking. Now, beyond, like, the theory itself, is there anything else that, again, in these conversations that you're like, oh, I wish I would have had that or that skill. Ooh, that could be beneficial to my artwork. Maybe, like... I feel like people in, in Grant McEwen or like any music school are forced to like really grind it out and like practice. So I feel oh, like yeah. their playability is pretty crazy. Like, mm. of course, I wish I could like play a keyboard solo or like a guitar solo mm. um, or like even uh, some of the technical proficiency they get with music production. Like, of course, I would love to know sound design and not be stabbing in the dark. Yeah, um, yeah. But give or take, like I'll make up for it in my own way. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I do want to like spend some time in like your own songs and work and kind of like ask you questions. Mm. I have some notes about like things that popped out to me. Cool. But before we get there and kind of staying with your young, your younger, younger years, I had a question I wanted to ask before kind of getting to like a meaty topic. But um, the question I had was, so I recently watched a film called Legends of the Fall. Have you have you seen that? Do you know it? Nope. Okay, because like your childhood sounds exactly like that. It's these, cool. it's these. Um, in this case, it's these uh, three, uh, three boys. His, their father grow up in like a log cabin, pretty much. And um, the whole thing is about their three personalities and what that was like. But anyways, I was so enamored by that because I mean, myself being a city kid, I don't know what that's like. You know, I've been out to a farm here and there, but living and growing up on it is so different. So, I like I I guess like. My question here is, what from your experience living there, like at such a young age, do you find kind of popping out in your art now? Um, I don't get creatively bored. I feel like I spent so much time in my imagination as a kid. Like I remember just writing, I, I wrote every single day since grade two in a journal. So just pages and pages of thoughts. And so I feel like my mind now is just this like endless fountain of ideas. Like sometimes wow. when I'm doing, I do this thing called loop challenge on my Instagram where I'll, I'll get beats from people and try to write as many songs as I can in a day. Sometimes I'll get like seven, eight, nine songs in a day because I just, I've spent so much time extracting creative ideas from my mind and like swimming around in my imagination that it just feels like endless now compared to like before. Mm. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing is just being able to not do a lot, but still be like endlessly entertained. Wow. That's amazing. I want to, how did you start writing just in grade two? Yeah. I just literally picked up paper and wrote exactly what was on my mind with, without thinking about it. And that's what I still do to this day wow. in everything that I do. It's just, I think everyone can write well. You just need to get out of your own way, but people censor themselves. So they think they can't write. But if you just write, it's like, well, you wrote, you have words on paper, so you can obviously do it. So yeah. simple. It sounds so simple, right? But it does. Like, I think that's my, my own like fear is like, oh, I have to have this like perfectly crystallized idea before I get it out on paper. But as I'm like writing stuff, then I realize, oh, this is part of that process. This is something that has come out. Yeah. Um, and I don't value that as much. You know, it's painful for me, actually. <laughs> I think a lot of people think that like you need inspiration to write. But really, like the act of writing creates the inspiration. If you just start, the inspiration will come. Oh and that's the big God. thing that like switched Beautiful. for me. Wait, I have sound effects and I'm just going to use my feet. To... Uh, yeah, that's fucking crazy line. Bars. Uh, absolute bars. Wow. Holy shit. It's true, You've though. Action me. creates emotion, not yeah. the other way around. Wow. Crazy cool. Crazy cool. Um, I, I wanted to ask just two small questions yeah. from your childhood again. And then I kind of want to move on to, you know, growing up. What is like a really good memory from your childhood? What's like a super bad memory? A bad one? Yeah. Um, really good memory from my childhood. Uh, hmm. I feel like my first talent show was like a really big turning point for me. Um, I, I picked up a guitar when I was like 10. And then two weeks after playing it for the very first time, I was like, I'm entering this talent show. I'm going to do it. Even though I can't play my guitar, I was like, I'm just going to set the deadline and do it. And I did. And I got second place, which was like for my first time. I was like, wow. hell yeah. Um, and that gave me a lot of confidence because I was like, well, I can literally do anything now if I just tell myself I'm doing it and make myself follow through. Worst memory from my childhood. Um, we'll probably talk about this later more, but I think uh, it was winning the reality show I was on and then realizing that my career actually wasn't going to be handed to me. And I mm. 
you know, like I went through this whole thing where I was like, I'm gonna be a star, like I'm gonna win, it's gonna be great. And then it just all, and I was hit in the face with reality at 15. Um, And that was really hard to process because I didn't have an adult brain that understood reality yet. So that was probably like the hardest thing to experience. Wow. Yeah. That's actually like the perfect segue. Yeah. That's that's what I wanted to kind of get into is, is how, so maybe, maybe just describe how you came across that. Like what was it? parents was it you how did that happen it was me um i remember i wanted to be a singer so bad and i lived in this town like middle of nowhere so i was always on the internet looking for opportunities to get the hell out of there and like sing songs for people wow um and i found two shows one was on cmt it was called karaoke star junior and the other one was the next star on my tv and uh the karaoke star one was a video audition so i sent it in i didn't even get past the first round like wasn't even accepted to like audition in person and then I flew down to Edmonton to audition for the next star because I was the closest um, audition center. And I made it as a finalist. And then uh, a couple months later, I got the call or yeah, a month later, I got the call that I was going to Toronto to film the show. Um, wow. And it was funny because I didn't actually expect it. Like I was mostly just going to Edmonton to visit my friends. And I told my dad, like, audition for the show because like then it gave it a reason to like go. Mm. Um, but I didn't have my heart set on going. I didn't think I'd make it after getting rejected. And then I did. And I was like, whoa, I wasn't ready for this. Holy. <laughs> yeah. What's that conversation like with your parents? My parents are dope. Like anything yeah. I wanted to do as a kid, they're like, hell yeah. Crazy. You want to go to Toronto when you're 15 and make music? Like, go. Like, whoa. I remember I was homeschooling and every day I would like put off my music and, or my schooling until like 8 p.m. that night because I just wanted to make music all day. And my parents were like, do it. Like, as long as you finish high school, do whatever you want. Like, follow your dreams. My dad is really creative. He plays music. He draws. So, like, they always just fostered that. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. I'm really lucky because a lot of my friends tell me they have the opposite experience. And their parents are like, be a doctor. Sure, yeah. Yeah, don't do the arts. You'll starve and die. (laughs) Starve and die and be happy somehow. (laughs) I'm currently starving and dying. And I think I'm happy. So yeah, it works. <laughs> That's the artist's life, right? It's always, I think I'm happy. I think I'm content <laughs> now. <laughs> okay, so sorry. Let's stick there. Mm-hmm. The next act. I remember when I was younger, maybe I heard it in passing, but I didn't like stick to it and watch it. So for those who don't know, it's a reality show, right? It's basically like Canadian Idol for kids 15 and under. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow, 15 and under. 15 and under. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is such a young age to process any of that. Yes. That is insane. Yeah. I remember like getting on the show and then one day um, you have to sign a contract obviously before you can go. And it was like 37 pages long and I didn't even read it. I just signed it. And then my mom oh. signed it and she didn't read it because like oh. we were from a small town. We didn't understand the waters we were getting into. Yeah. Um, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Like being a kid raised in a small town and then being on national TV and, and being like that visible um, and having to interact with so many people, not really knowing how, it, right. it is a lot to process. And I think it made me grow up really fast. No kidding. Totally. And the competition too, because I think I knew a couple people in junior high who were maybe competing for that kind of yeah. show where they pit, you know, peers together, teenagers yeah. together, young teenagers, like almost from childhood. Yeah. And it got vicious, like even within the talent show within the school. Yeah. I don't think, I think one of them kind of met it made it to semi-final round and the the total like terrible competition between especially like young girls yeah it's like awful to, to see yeah and and the thing is like when you're on a show like that and there's six finalists mm-hmm. you have to remember that one six of the fans like you but five six of the fans like the other finalists so they're always going to be saying like mean things and like um 
kind of like putting a magnifying glass on the competition and like really like throwing gasoline on the fire in that way, amplifying it essentially. Um, so yeah, sorry, I wasn't trying to be out of the conversation. I That's wanted good. to show Emily, uh, <laughs> okay. just like, I think this is like some of the TV show of like her and this is like her, a little intro segment. You're so going to see my old teeth. I'm going to old teeth. A work of art. You we'll have, get to that. Hold on. <laughs> you don't have veneers, do you? No. Is a 15 year old what did you songwriter who lives in Columbia, but auditioned so they asked me to sing something about myself. 15? Well, really? You don't look any really different. What? You're a cutie. Backstage is like amazing. Everyone's really energetic. I talk the same. <laughs> you need a rap. This rap is getting slow. Lay down a sick beat. Oh, hey, no. let's go. I don't remember My this. name is Tianda. I write my own music and I've been a vegan for six years. <laughs> that wasn't true. That wasn't true. I wasn't old enough to be a vegan. Tianda goes by the nickname Tanda Bear. Not a cat and a dog. <laughs> So to prepare for the performance, we set up a recording studio. We've been just like blasting it. My dog, wow. he gets so scared, he like runs to the house as soon as I start singing. And I'm like, oh, you suck. When you listen <laughs> to music, it really affects you. So I want to be able to affect people the way that their music has affected me. Beautiful. That is oh adorable. I need oh to make some memes out of that. God. Holy shit. Absolutely. Some quality content. It could be like uh, where they have like the, the sampling at the beginning of a song. And then you like drop in some sick beat. Then you go in. Yeah. Oh, I should reenact that as an adult Absolutely. on that seamless over there. Yes, a thousand percent. I uh, quit being vegan. Yeah, <laughs> I like um, that line. It came out of nowhere. It's like I've been vegan for six years. Like, Whoa! I don't remember <laughs> why the hell I said that. So sorry to make you go through that, but what is it like looking back at young Tianda going and starting that journey? Um, it was kind of cool to hear like the reason why I make music because that really hasn't changed. So it's cool to be like, whoa, I carried that from like childhood until now um yeah. it was cool to see me like being myself too like i was kind of a dork on that show but like that was just who i was so i didn't feel the need to like pretend to be anything else that's incredible yeah that's so cool i mean yeah like even just the moments we've been speaking with you now and seeing that like again it feels like you haven't aged much <laughs> at all <Bless> you. <laughs> it's so sweet um wow I think yeah go ahead i'm just impressed because I, I, I'm just speechless, first of all. Oh, right, but yes. The amount of, like, confidence you had, I feel like you are yourself still, and you've grown into yourself even mm -hmm. more. But I feel like you definitely had a very strong essence, even since the age. I feel like I've 15. known who I was for a long time. Mm. And at least, like, um, I feel like as a kid, I always felt really comfortable expressing everything I felt and, like, thought, as opposed to feeling like I needed to pretend and, like, try to fit in. I never felt that way. For wow. some reason. Yeah. I want to dig into that. I don't know how, though. I, I actually, what what comes to mind is like, you, you yeah, it comes across like you're just this like little girl who knows who, who she is, which is refreshing because, I mean, maybe from a guy's perspective, the stereotype is usually like, oh, young girls are insecure and they don't know who they are and they're trying to like put on all of these things to find out. I mean, mm -hmm. guys are too, obviously, but that's like the perception. And we're bombarded with that also, like as, as yeah. kids, be this look like this, whatever. Right. So actually what, what intrigues me here is like, you're this unique, self-assured singer songwriter, just like beautiful little girl who's wanting to express herself. And now you're in this like big machine who's, it feels like whose goal is to kind of create these like perfect little packages. Yes. So what were the stresses that you felt where it was like, Oh, 
this is changing something different in me or something like that. Yeah, um, it was it was a huge actually turning point in my life, what I went through on that show and, and how they tried to package me as an artist. Because when I auditioned for the show, I knew what kind of music I wanted to make. And I actually, I remember getting a list of songs. They're like, you can only pick out of these like 30 songs to audition. And I was like, no, I'm singing an original song. Wow. So I, I sang an original song for the audition um, and, and made it. And then um, we started going through the process of like doing other episodes and we had to get our makeovers and whatever else. Mm. Long story short, I wanted to be sort of like an Avril Lavigne, Shiloh, like uh, raw, kind of edgy, honest songwriter. Nice. But at the time, um, YTV was either co-owned or owned by Chorus Entertainment, who also owned CMT. So when I won the show, they were like, it would be a great opportunity if we could cross market you on YTV and Chorus and, and, and CMT. And Taylor Swift was blowing up at the time. So they right. thought, what if you were a pop country? Uh. And they steered me in the country direction, whereas I'd never, ever wanted to sing country before in my life until I went on that show. Wow. I released two singles as a country pop artist. And then after that. I was so confused about who I was as an artist that I spent four years in a country band, released an album, released a music video, did a bunch oh. of like shows, like really dedicated myself to it. And then I just realized like, damn, I actually don't want to sing country at all. I just wasted four years of my life because some people in suits confused me when I was Whoa. a kid. And then that's when I took the time off and was like, I'm not making music for a while until I figure out like who I am, not who all these other people want to make money off of me gotcha. by making me into this thing. Yeah. Oh my God. That was a bit of like a mind, like, yeah. 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 Like, I, I mean, I like recently I've been thinking about what has formed me as an adult, you know, and I obviously had no, you know, similar experience to where like something so big, like this machine was kind of forming you yeah. into something that's just astounding that any child could be put through that. It was so bizarre. Like I remember going into the studio and they were like, let's hear your songs. And I'd like play them all my songs. And I remember the words like, your music is too deep for your audience. So we're oh. gonna bring in songwriters to help you write your music. Whoa. Um, and that's, that's when I started cool. writing songs I didn't like. No way. Yeah, yeah. And that that's really like, I think that whole experience is what makes me so convicted now and being like, I'm not listening to anybody. Yeah. I don't give a shit what anyone says about what kind of music I should make. Like I just, I don't hear it anymore because I know how much it can get in your head and really like undermine you as a, a unique human. Mm -hmm. Now, now during that time where you're in this, you know, you're this 15 year old girl in this studio with, I imagine like a bunch of like much older people just trying to manufacture something. Are your parents there? Is there a conversation had with them? Like, Hey, what's, what's going on here? I distinctly, so my mom isn't really like involved in the music stuff. She doesn't understand it the same way that my dad does. So she was always there to support me, but she never like intervene and be like, this is what I think. Mm. But I remember my dad, kind of um, poking at me and being like, this isn't you, like you're not a country singer. And he would always make these comments about it because like I didn't understand uh -huh. it. But at the time I was like, no dad, like you're wrong. This label wants me. You've never been a musician. You don't know. Oh, and wow. he was always trying to steer me back to being myself. But I was too caught up in wanting to be Taylor Swift because that's what people told me I needed to be to make music. So mm. they tried, but like you couldn't tell me shit. I was on TV at 15. I was like, I know everything. You've never done this before. I don't want to hear it. Got you. Oh <laughs> Unfortunately, God. like that's the other problem with being convicted as a child is you you actually don't learn all the things you should because you don't want to hear it from anybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell me nothing. Um, I just wanted to play just like a snippet of one of the songs that I found, hmm. which is, I believe, Liar, mm. Liar. Is that right? Good. <laughs> yeah. My greatest now, life's work. We're not going to like 
listen to it all. The, the music video is like worth seeing in full because <laughs> okay. there's a lot of like beautiful moments. You're honestly welcome. But You're welcome in advance. Um, this is Liar Liar. Put it full screen, please. Oh, yes. I can already hear like the twang. So what if you didn't know? So sick. So what if I never say? You might hear it on the radio. My voice is still so obviously not country, like in my right. opinion. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna let it go to the chorus so you can at least get a taste of that. <laughs> I, I remember video. I used the word conspired in this and they were like, it's too wordy, like people won't get it. Really? And I'm like, really? Like Wow. So you wrote this? Co-wrote it. Co-wrote it. I will not take full credit for this mess. <laughs> I love the claps. As I was listening to it, I was like, yes, let's go. I've thought about like remaking this video in like a funny way too. Wow. Wow. So just like as a bit of a per outsider perspective, mm -hmm. first off, like, wow. Right? Like, wow. wow. So if you're just like listening to this audio wise, you should definitely look up the video. It's on YouTube. Um, liar, liar. Uh, Tianda Flegel. Yes. And yeah, it's immaculately produced. I mean, it is like what a studio would put their money towards, right? It's a full production. That's what caught me off guard when I first turned it on. More than that, I was like, I had listened to all of your recent music. And then listening to this, I was like, this is not you. I don't, you know, I don't even it's know so you. Different. But I was like, this is not you're like you're trying to be Taylor Swift. That's yes. that's what I heard. Yeah. And but I'm like, as you go to the end of the song, she has these like good runs and like little moments. And I'm like, but there's the voice, you know, there's that talent. Um, Yeah. So it was just bewildering for me to like find this out after having heard your recent work. It's weird. It, even yeah. if you listen to like the, the band or the album that my country band released, it's like you can tell there's a songwriter there, but you can like when I hear it, I'm like, I can tell I was confused. It doesn't feel like I, don't, I didn't feel like I meant the things that I was singing when I was wow. making music back then, as opposed to like now I sing them and I feel good about every word. Mm. But before I was just a confused girl figuring it out. And what was the name of that band? It's called The Township. The township. Yeah, we wow. have. I think it's like a four or five song EP and like a music video. It's definitely a big step up from that. Um, and the songwriting felt it felt good at the time, but it was is another like step in the road in terms of learning. Gotcha. Figuring yeah. out what I'm not. <laughs> yeah. The day yeah. I realized I wasn't country, I was like, damn, that was a big <laughs> chunk of my life. It's like when you date someone for four years and then you find out they're like cheating on you or something. You're like, damn it. Yeah. That was yeah. a big time sink. <laughs> but you, le I learned a lot along the way and I had a lot of fun, so it was all worth it. Yeah. When did you start figuring it out? Like, was there a certain day or situation where you're like, this isn't me or was it a slow progression? It was uh, it was a slow progression of realizing that I enjoyed the rehearsals less and less. And every time I wrote a new song, I typically expect to feel like better and better about it. But I wasn't. I wasn't getting more excited about the music I was writing. And then the other thing that I noticed is we, we would play these big shows, like sometimes to thousands of people, like um, festivals and stuff. But when I played the songs, I didn't feel good playing them. They weren't fun to play live. I didn't feel like they were connecting with the audience in any way. And I, I started playing in a cover band while I was in the country band. And when I played the cover songs, those felt good. And I was like, this is saying something about what genres I enjoy and which ones I do not enjoy performing. 
so that was that was a big thing i like noticed it wasn't fun when i got to play in a different band i was like yeah for sure for sure not for me wow yeah now now kind of during that time of like the transition from this like pop star machine show to that country band what was your music intake like what were you like listening to was it regular or was it like all just about the work um i listened to a bunch of artists that probably nobody would ever hear of i used to go on like youtube and just find like random singer songwriters who were recording videos on their laptop that just really inspired me like i remember i found this artist named kina granis who like not many people know her but she was just writing lyrically songs that i really liked i listened to a lot of like the fray daughtry green day blink 182 like rock bands and then i also listened to a lot of like avril lavigne mm. um shiloh at the time like edgy girls who didn't fit the pop star kind of norm that was being pushed down our throats mm. at the time. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's so yeah, I mean like it's such a it's such a shift. I feel like I what I'm trying to say is like, you know, again, coming across this past of yours it's like I try to see where that is now in your songs. And of course it's vastly different. Yeah. But I don't know. Do you feel like any of that is still present either sonically or in spirit? Um, <clears throat> I think like lyrically, the stuff I'm writing now, I can tell that I listen to like a lot of like the fray and the script. And I really lean now towards like um, more poetic language in my music. Um, and I'm talking about the music I haven't released yet, the stuff I've been working on in quarantine. Mm. I think um, the bigger thing that shaped who I am now as an artist and really finding that sound is I played in a cover band for four years. And wow. in that band, I played almost once every week, and we sang every genre you could think of. I learned to rap, I learned to scream, I learned to sing country, I learned to sing rock, like pop, mm -hmm. everything. Um, and we knew something like 200, 300 songs. And when you sing every single genre ever, and you get really good at like copying like other voices, like I would learn like Nicki Minaj, Shakira, like Blink-182, like whatever. Um, you, you start to figure out, okay, I really like seeing this. This one didn't feel so good. Um, that's how I learned I like hip hop a little bit. Like, mm. So that really shaped who I am and really my ability to like kind of genre hop and, and carve out a unique space for myself just by trying literally everything. Yeah, no kidding. What's, uh, what's like screaming songs like? I, I was, I've had such a respect for like bands that could do that. Yeah, uh, we used to sing like some Alexis on Fire and like Taking Back Sunday. Um, nice. And I would I would just like go outside and like smoke some joints and then be like ah like there's another guy singer with me so he would also be like screaming but I just would try it I would just try everything in public I'm like you want me to rap on the diggity sure I'll do it in public if I fuck it up well at least I learned something like oh, nice. I just became fearless I was like I'm gonna embarrass myself so I may as well just accept it and like learn that's amazing wow. yeah and I certainly did embarrass myself many times at that gig many many times what what was a coping <laughs> thing for embarrassment because. I feel like it paralyzes a lot of people. Yeah. Well, for the first like year that I sang there, we had a free tab. So I was just getting drunk all the time. Like it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't positive. Um, and then slowly I, I started to make mistakes on stage and I would like fuck up a song like royally. And then I would slowly realize that like no one ever brought it up again. So it didn't actually matter. Like even wow. the worst, the worst things I've ever done on stage, no one ever talks about it. I messed up on national TV and people don't talk about it. So like, what do I have to be afraid of now? You know? Yeah. So that's sort of how I got over it. I just realized that like people don't actually think about me that much. Mm. So everyone's just thinking about their own mistakes. Mm. And the people in the crowd were way drunker and doing way more embarrassing things than me. So like, even if they are thinking about it, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, did that cover band have a name? And like, yeah, the, guys... the Barkells. Well, we started okay. as the Barcade Fire, but then um, <laughs> they almost got sued by like some place called the Barcade in like Chicago because of the name. Oh wow! So then we ripped off the Arkells and we said the Barkells, and I think that's what they're still going by now. Oh, so they're still yeah, cover banding. They've Crazy. been yeah. Well, COVID obviously like ruined everything, but yeah, we played at Denizen Hall for a while, and then we played at um, Have Mercy for a while, and it was honestly like the best time of my life. It was so fun every every week to just go and like play some songs have no ego attached to it just like yeah hang out with my friends oh that's so exciting. where i learned how to smoke weed <laughs> <laughs> wow so were you writing songs during that time were these other influences kind of building something in you and how did that manifest yeah, i never stopped me like writing songs i just stopped releasing songs for a few years after the country band i just kind of went dark deleted all my social media, it completely disappeared and was like, I'm just going to be who I want to be without thinking about taking pictures and sharing anything. And, and sorry, sorry to interrupt. Oh, yeah. How old are you when you kind of joined the band and then, then kind mm. of got into it? I want to say like around 1920 was, okay. yeah, probably like 20 years old when about I started 100 years it. ago. Yeah, it feels like mm -hmm. it. I feel like I aged 30 years this year alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think around then. I forget what I was saying oh. before. Um, about writing and yeah. kind of building that. I was. I was writing. I remember I would get home after like a show and I'd be like really wired, obviously. So you have all this adrenaline. And I had my piano on the floor at the time in my basement bedroom and I would just sit on my floor and write whatever was on my mind. And like some of the songs that I'm going to be releasing next year are, they came from those old voice notes of me at 3 a.m. Just like, like that's oh. why I wrote Bed. If you heard Bed, I wrote it on my floor yes. like yes. 3 in the morning after a show that exhausted me. Wow. My voice is all raspy. I could like barely sing because I was smoking all night. But just had, yeah. I had a song in me. I was like, I need to write it. But eventually oh, wow. I wanted to share the music again. It just took some time. Hmm. I think, what is it? Is it My God or one of the other, God, yeah. other songs too? You said you pulled from your time I think when you were younger. Yeah, that one was almost entirely like a journal entry that I wrote when I was 15. I have, like I said, I've been writing every day. So I have this huge like library of journals that I, if I'm ever not feeling inspired, I just go read how I was feeling like past tea and then I'll kind of honor that by writing a song about it. And My God was a journal entry I'd written about anxiety and having OCD and feeling like I could never just sit still and be okay with sitting still. Mm -hmm. And that, like I didn't understand it as a kid. So the way that I wrote about it was obviously very different than how I would now. So it was like really impactful um, lyrics and I just wanted to sing them. Yeah, that's, that's actually my favorite song. Thank you. It's uh, a good one. Specifically Thank the acoustic you. one. The like, acoustic, yeah. yeah. People like the acoustic version way better. I actually want to remake it because um, I feel like I connected with the acoustic version so much more mm. that I want to give it a second chance at life. Absolutely. I, have you done any recent music videos? Haven't done. No, not anything except for the acoustic stuff. Is it oh. something you are like scared of or what, what's the process like that with that now? Um, I think for a while, like when I first started making music again after taking the time off, all I wanted to make myself care about was making music. And I told myself like, until you can do this by yourself, you don't need to worry about anything else. Because um, for me, that's always been the most important part. And now that I've sort of gotten into a good workflow with it and I'm making a lot of music, I'm starting to now explore music videos. But I, I never felt like I 100% had the song I wanted to bet on. So I never wanted to invest the money quite yet until right. I knew that it was like, yeah, I'm really proud of this. This feels like me. Let's go. Uh, do you have like ideas that are like, oh, this is what I would like this music video for this song to be? Or is it still kind of nebulous? I definitely like when I'm writing a song now, kind of see it all in my head. Like the vision is wow. a lot more clear than it was a couple years ago. Mm. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to like starting to work with people on it and like concept those things and 
Yeah, That's it's cool great. to start as you understand more who you are, you can be more involved in like your brand and the videos and the photo shoots and stuff. Whereas mm -hmm. in the beginning, I was really relying on other people to interpret my music and give me their vision because I just simply didn't know. So yeah. now it's it's something that's more exciting than before it was like daunting. Yeah. Great. So yeah, just let me know when you want to start working on that and Emily and I will yes, help be you your out. Yes, be your servants. That would be so much fun. So we can... Uh, we definitely do. No, like genuinely. Hell yeah. Uh, it excites me. Uh, that's what, that's like my own profession, my own love, yeah. my own art form. Um, Your and I love it a video lot. work is very cool. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think... Profound. I, it, yeah. I, a lot of my stuff, I've, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm sitting here in awe of you because, <laughs> because like genuinely, I, I like the fear of creating and making something and, you know, pa packaging it nicely. That's what's hindered me so much. Um, I recently had to make a kind of like a resume of my creative work. And in like the past two or three years, I've made so much that I can like look back and be proud of, but not until I wrote it out and was like painstakingly like, when did I film this? What did I do? Was I like, wow, like I've made pretty good work. I can be proud of. And it, it just all kind of speaks to this like fear of expression and fear of like doing it. I feel like I can, I'm better at doing it for other people. Mm -hmm. Like working as a cinematographer, getting that vision out is something that's a little more natural to Less me. Less ego when it's someone else's vision. Absolutely. It's a lot easier. Yeah you, yeah. you have to like submit yourself and find out what they want to say. Yeah. Um, and now that I'm like, I've had more time to think about what I want to do. It's tough to take steps forward. Like I, I have scripts that I'm working on. And I'm just like, I don't, set aside time for them i don't dedicate what i should to them and so uh, that's why i say i'm like i'm in awe i of, hear that like, from people your all the time people always tell me like i feel stuck or like afraid to what do i do, to do. what do i do so i this is the funniest like way to discover this about like life but i recently did acid and i had a life-changing acid trip that really like made everything click in my head in terms of why i create and how i create and I was actually watching The Office. I'm not sure if you guys have like ever watched The Office yeah. before, yeah. but it's really funny when you're on acid. And what I realized about The Office is that somewhere in a room, wherever the hell they write The Office, there are a bunch of people laughing about something and having a great time. And all they needed to do was make me feel what they were feeling in that room and their show was a success. And I realized like with any art, all you have to do is capture your energy and transfer it to other people through whatever medium you use, whether it's photography or videos or music. And you just need to get out of your own way. Like all the other things, overthinking it, overworking it, whatever, you're just further filtering it and like distilling it and getting in your own way. Mm. As long as you get the emotion across, that is the only thing that matters. And everything else can be like worked on later or you'll improve over time. But right now I'd rather release a song that like emotionally impacts people than release a song that's like the most technically good thing I could have made. Yeah. It's the only yeah. thing I care about now is just how can I take my energy and make you feel it when you're not in the same room as me? And if I've done that, then like that's a song I'm releasing. Sorry, I'm queuing up effects again. Yes. <laughs> Those are gunshots. Because that's, that's <laughs> killer advice. Okay, okay. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is so much about getting out of your own way. And I feel yeah. like I've, I, I'm now in my later years starting to like embrace that, even though it's still like a little painful. But yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It's hard, like especially if you're you're going deep with your stuff. Like if your videos are profound or you're tapping into your own emotions, it can be scary to to be vulnerable like that. But when yeah. you do it, you give other people permission to do it. And if you're feeling something like anxiety, then of, there's probably a billion people in the world who are gonna see that and be like, "Me too." Like I feel that too. Right. So like letting yourself feel those emotions publicly, it helps other people do that. 
Yeah. I, I think for me, it's exhausting. Yeah. You know, like uh, yeah. tapping into that moment or those feelings. So how, uh, uh, this is maybe even just a question for both of you. Like, how do you keep your energy up to see a project through that's so emotionally taxing? I don't sometimes. Whoa. Like, sometimes I'm just like, this song makes me cry when I work on it, but I'm going to finish it anyways because it needs to be finished. Like, I liked it enough to start it. I can't disrespect myself by not seeing it through. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, like, it is grueling. It is painful, especially if you're writing about things that, like, hurt you in the past or digging up old emotions or relationships or, you know. And, and as an artist, I'm sure you're the same way. Like, I kind of go out of my way to feel things to the fullest extent. Like, if someone hurts me, I'm not like, I need to go out and, like, distract myself from this. I'm like, I want to write seven pages about how miserable I am so that I can write a song later and make this worth it. Otherwise, I just went through some BS for no reason. Right. Like, that's how I feel. I kind of just embrace that, like, as a creative, you're going to feel really good sometimes, and then sometimes you're going to feel, like, really bad. And both of those are equally valuable when you're making art. Well. Yeah, as an artist, too, I think... Sorry if my mic, I hope my mic is okay. No, you're good. But um, like having that total polarity of emotions from feeling like totally exhilarated, especially when you've worked on something and you feel like you're getting somewhere versus being feeling like completely useless and kind of like finding that balance or even just ping-ponging between those two things um, can make the energy levels exhausting because you give so much and then you crash. So I think that's something, I don't know if you've figured it out. I think it takes a while to figure out but I totally agree with you on the portraying the energy. And I think I was dipping into this book on acting, which I don't know why, because <laughs> I'm not into acting. But I think as a director, it's important to know something else I'm going wanting to go into. But even like when you're you're writing a song or like saying a word in communicating, it doesn't even matter like what's being said but you have to say it with like the energy behind it or you have to sing it with the energy and the feeling behind it or it really doesn't have that like ability to carry through for the viewer to experience. Yeah, there's so many points in producing a song where you can ruin it. You can produce the life right out of it. And actually, it's funny that you said that you liked the My God acoustic version almost better than the production because there was a time um, in recent history where Sony reached out to me because they found the acoustic and they were like, we really like you. We want to hear more of your songs. Um, and they, I sent them my produced songs and they were like, no, 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 no. Like, these are not it. Wow. They basically told me like, you have the perfection of the production here has killed all the emotion. We want your right. acoustic stuff because the emotion is still intact. And that was a big turning point for me because I realized well. how many ways you can kind of suck the emotion out of art by trying to make it too like good or perfect. Yeah. Well said. Well said. I, I kind of want to like just slightly transition and mm -hmm. shift there. I had written a couple notes about some of the songs that popped out to me. I'd love to just pick your brain about them because yeah. especially like hearing that you said a lot of my God was just, 15 year old you yeah so one one line that's like the line in here is i don't know a thing about real problems yeah like that's gigantic that takes so much maturity to like say w where does that come from i guess like i've always been the kind of person who's really aware of what's going on around me and with other people like, even though I don't live in America right now, every day I'm reading about what's going on down there and who's impacted and what the struggles are. And I'm very, like, empathetic by nature. So I, I want to know what's going on with people and how, how they're feeling. And I think, like, as a kid, 
I was very aware that the way that I felt was not, it didn't align with my lifestyle. I was very blessed as a kid. I didn't have what you would call real problems by any means. Everything I wanted, I had it. I had a studio. I had parents who supported me. I had like school, got a job right away out of school. Like everything was relatively easy for me in terms of like the scale of the world and how bad people have it. But I also knew that I felt like I had this like black cloud of mental illness over me all the time that I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. So my 15 year old brain, not having access to like a psychologist or even a school counselor to talk to you, was always trying to figure out how come my life is so good, but I feel so bad all the time. And I felt guilty about it. I was like, I shouldn't feel this way because my life is too good. So when I wrote like in my journal, I was like, why am I so mad? Like, I don't have anything to be mad about, but I have all this like animosity and like angst in me for no reason or what I thought was no reason for what I now understand is literally a chemical imbalance in your brain. But as a kid, you're just like, ah, yeah, you know? Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's where that came from. Yeah. 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 No, I mean like. I'm sitting here again, kind of in awe. It's like, oh. <laughs> I'm, think, I'm thinking like, what did 15 year old, I'm looking at 15 year old Gerardo was like buying Pokemon cards, trying to get Bulbasaur, <laughs> going to 7-Eleven, stealing yeah. things for, with his friends. Like different, different environment. I wasn't doing that. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think, yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't want to dive into um, that. I, I had another little line that I wanted to ask yeah. you about in the same song. Again, it's my favorite song. It's so good. Um, you say, too pretty to be sad right and it is yeah. kind of delivered in like a tongue-in-cheek sarcastic like way yeah. right where where does where does that come from because again it's like it feels like there's a lot of maturity in a 15 year old to be able to say something like that i was mad i was mad because i kept telling people that i felt bad and they were always oh you're too pretty to be sad don't be sad about that you're too pretty you're so too they would cute. literally say that yeah to they me. would literally i've had doctors Whoa. say that to me wow yeah I've, i had a doctor literally tell me i'm too put together to have a mental illness and oh I was like, God. okay, like, I guess I'll just figure it out on my own then. And then I did eventually. And eventually yeah. I was able to like analyze my symptoms enough to go to a doctor and be like, here they are. Tell me what this is. But so many people just wrote me off because they're like, you're a high performer. You have a good life. You present yourself well. You wear makeup. You look whatever. So therefore, you must absolutely feel good all the time. And if you right. don't, we're going to be like, what's wrong with you? You should be happy. And that's what I was experiencing as a kid and even into like adulthood. And I think a lot of, I guess it goes both ways. Like girls get told, oh, you're too pretty to be sad. Or men get told like, man up, you're you're a man. Don't feel that. I I hated that. I still hate that. Yeah, absolutely. Very toxic. Yeah. Would you mind going into more detail about like having to do your own research? Yeah. Just for people who are struggling themselves and don't even know where to begin. Yeah. yeah. With that. So I noticed um, as a kid, I would have like really, really explosive reactions to like certain triggers or I'd do the same things over and over again, check the, th- the same things over and over again, checking locks. Um, I had this habit of like rocking back and forth all the time. Like my grandparents thought I had autism because I was so like manic about things. Um, I had a habit of ruminating all the time, having the same thoughts all the time irrational fears like every time I got in a car I thought I was going to drive it off a cliff for no reason like just completely irrational intrusive thoughts all the time and um, journaling every day really helped because what I would do is I would write every day just whatever I was feeling and then eventually I started going back into my journal and I'd reread them and I would notice like oh every second day you're writing about this exact same thing but you're experiencing it like it's a brand new problem again like you're just looping you're looping over and over and over again So when I realized that, I was like, this isn't normal. Like, I don't think most 15 year old kids are just having like this experience or at least like it's not ruining, like running their lives this way. 
And then into adulthood, I kind of took it one step further. And every time I found myself doing like a ritual or checking something or like picking at my skin, or any, I would just write it down. I'd write the date, the time, what I did, how it made me feel. And eventually I came up with this exhaustive list and I was like, there are some very clear patterns here now. Like when you're experiencing it and you're in it, you can't really see the big picture. But I'm a business analyst by day, so I'm really good at being like, this is what I need to track to understand the problem. So I just took my like business analysis experience and applied it to my mental illness. And then eventually, once I had a list of all the behaviors, I was like, okay, these are very obvious symptoms. Did some Googling, found out it was probably OCD, went to the doctor, started to get diagnosed and then like confirmed what I'd already believed. But it was just a lot of like, just being aware of your own behavior. Wow. A lot of people aren't. A lot of people do a lot of self-destructive stuff all the time. And until you tell them they're doing it, they have no idea because we're not taught to pay attention to our own behavior. Wow. So, so you were like officially diagnosed with OCD. Now, is there different variations of that? Was it on a scale or what is it like? Yeah. So the severity of OCD is kind of determined by how many hours a day your rituals take up in your life. That's sort of the most tangible way to measure the impact and like how bad it is. And at my worst, I was spending about three and a half hours a day just doing rituals. And my biggest Whoa. ones were like repetitive cleaning um, and picking my skin. I had really, really, really bad skin for a long time because I couldn't know me or I couldn't be around a mirror like for any reason. Um, just had really bad like dysmorphia. I had to, you know, just always, yeah. always bothering me. Um, so that was the biggest thing is just like measuring how much, what's the time impact here and how can I decrease it? And then the other thing that people experience a lot with OCD is intrusive thoughts. And the best way to understand that is like um, if, if you're driving a car home from work and you think, oh, shit, I just hit somebody, your logical brain is going to go, no, I didn't. You're going to look around and be like, they're fine. And you're going to drive home and you're going to feel good about that. If you have OCD, when you have the thought, oh, shit, I just hit somebody, your brain, because of the chemical imbalance, is unable to get to the next step in that loop of, no, I didn't. And it loops, yes, I did. So you might drive around the block 30 times before you get home to make sure you didn't hit somebody, even though like logically you're like, of course I didn't. Right. And that's the difference in like how your brain works. Um, so if something oh. triggers me, I might think about it for way longer than the average person because I just need to loop it 300 times in my head before I can get past that. Whereas oh. if you're not um, diagnosed with OCD or if it's a less severe version, it might, you might get over that loop a little quicker. Wow. Yeah. What, what are some tools that you've kind of game to help with reducing the time of these rituals i think journaling is the biggest thing wow. like just every day being aware of it because like if i feel the need to go like pick up my skin or something if i go in my journal instead and say i feel like doing this and i know this is bad for me because mm -hmm. that's really powerful you now take this thing that's controlling you and you see it's just a few lines on a piece of paper and you're like this isn't this can't control me like i'm in control wow. kind of thing so like I always tell people journal and I feel like it's such a vague thing and people are like, I don't know what to write. I don't know how to start. Like it's too, I'm not a writer. Yeah. You don't have to be, you just have to be honest. Just get out of your own way, write how you're feeling. And that's how you become in tune with yourself. And once you're in tune with yourself, once you're paying attention, you can, I don't want to say control your mental illness, but you can harness it in different ways versus mm -hmm. feeling like, Oh my God, there's this thing that's just driving me all the time. And I feel out of control. Wow. Powerful. I think yeah, it's so important getting what's in your head. Like, out in the physical world so you can see it objectively and not yeah. from like within this confined space. Yeah. yeah, especially like a lot of people do their ruminating at night and your mind is literally weaker at night. So all of your problems seem way bigger and way more insurmountable. Mm. But if you write them down and you read them back, you're like, well, it's not as life ruining as I thought this was. Mm -hmm. 
thank you so much for like sharing about this too like, i mean it's not only like super informative yeah it's like i'm sure there's people that are like wait i have that and don't know yeah right? i mean it's a spectrum right i think I feel like it's kind of ignorant to think that anyone gets by nowadays without some sort of mental illness. The world is so different than it used to be. Like we're bombarded with more information, more tragedy than we've ever had to process as human beings in our life. Right. You are lying to yourself if you're telling yourself you haven't been impacted by that in some way. I think it's the best thing to do to just pay attention to what that impact is. And like, I love talking about it because I'm like, I feel like I have been able to make significant progress with it. And so if the things that I've learned can help other people, then I'd, I'm happy to like hang my story out for everyone to, to hear it. Right. Now, with OCD specifically, is there any medication involved? Like, will a doctor prescribe something? Yeah, okay. it's definitely an option. Um, I've been on, like, antidepressants before, um, and I had a horrible time. I just didn't feel like myself. I felt like it sort of fogged my brain. And I always have this fear of becoming, like, addicted to pharmaceuticals because it's, it's just a bunch of chemicals. I don't really know what's in it. And I, I would rather give it, like, the old college try without um, right. but I'm also aware that I'm a lot more self-aware than uh, a lot of people. And I'm willing to like put aside hours a day to write about it and understand it. And I kind of know how to do that work. A lot of people aren't raised in an environment where they learn how to do that self-work or like shadow work. And so it would be unfair to be like, go deal with this yourself. Don't use medication. It's bad for you. Like that's not reality for a lot of people. Right. I'm very that's blessed true. that I was able to do that. But a lot of people need the medication to sort of calm down the chaos so they can do that work. Mm. I think for OCD specifically, the best treatment that people go and pay for is a combination of like cognitive behavior therapy and um, antidepressants or um, anti-anxiety medication. Wow. Have you gone for cognitive? Have you gone for some sort of therapy? Because I think you speak very well Thank on you. these issues. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of work to go through and be able to not only reflect, but also to talk about something without having to break down. And thank you for your strength on this. Yeah. It's not an easy matter to talk about. Yeah. So. I've tried therapy. Um, what I found with therapy, and maybe I just didn't do it for long enough to really get into the good stuff. What I found was the conversation would be like, what are your triggers? Okay, here's how you can never encounter those triggers. And they yeah. were very focused on just like r removing the triggers, whether it was people or things or work or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I want to have the mental strength and grit to be able to be like, I'm triggered, but I'm not going to react. Um, so I quit therapy pretty early on because I felt like, this is arrogant to say, but I felt like I'd done more work than the therapist was doing to understand me. And I thought that I was just on a good path by myself. In terms of cognitive behavior therapy, typically what they focus on is like trigger exposure. So like if you're afraid of apples, they're going to make you lick an apple over and over again until you realize it's not a big deal. Um, wow. So for me, it was just like being aware of the triggers, being like, I want to go sweep my floors for the seventh time today. But then being like, I'm not going to, even though it makes my chest feel tight and I'm going to sit in this and feel it and know that it's not real. Um, and just making yourself sort of like, like I would set schedules for myself. Instead of spending three and a half hours cleaning a day, I'd be like, you get to vacuum twice a week for this many minutes, and then you put it away and you don't get to do it again. Um, and just slowly pushing myself to like be more and more uncomfortable until eventually I, I began not caring. Like I don't wanna say I beat OCD because I still struggle with intrusive thoughts a lot and rumination. Um, but in terms of actually acting on the triggers, I've done a very good job of either um, growing past it or removing them. Like, for example, you notice there's no light in my bathroom because there's a mirror there and I can't, I still can't be in front of a mirror because I just want to pick up my skin even though there's nothing wrong with it and I know that. Right. Your um, skin is phenomenal, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, um, But that's that's the nature of it, right? It's like sometimes you realize I, I can't deal with this rigor so I'm going to completely remove it and that's what I chose to do. Very healthy, by the way, not having mirrors. Great, recommend it for <laughs> everybody. Yeah. But yeah, 
sort of just a, a combination of removing triggers if you have to, but then really pushing myself to face them as well. Yeah. I, I had a question about writing. Mm -hmm. You know, you've, you've done it for so long. Is it for you, is it like pen and paper or are you okay with doing it digitally, like on a keyboard? Not okay with it. Wow. Even with lyrics lately, I prefer to have no computer and just have my guitar and like a notebook. Mm. There's something like, it's therapeutic. I still write in cursive all the time. So I just, Same. it feels so good and flowy and yeah. like nice. Yeah, yeah. But there's also something sacred to me about knowing that like no one could ever hack it. No one could ever read it. It's mine. It's physical. It's in my hands. This will only ever see the light of day if I choose to share it. And it just feels a lot more like safe that way to me, even though like literally anyone could walk in and steal them all at any time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But to me, it's just different. I don't know. When I type, I, I feel like because it's connected to a computer, which is a device I typically use to communicate with everybody, there's automatically a layer of pressure like someone's going to see this one day. So it has to be good as opposed to just uh, being honest. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I love like the sound. Just like, yeah, it's like awesome. Scratching the physical nature. The feels smell like, of paper and ink. Absolutely. It's like this, it's this beautiful transformation from it in your mind to like the page. And yeah, then you can like see it, you know, it's like yeah. visceral. It's in front of you. Yes. I used to do all sorts of stuff in my journals. Like if someone gave me a greeting card, for example, I would cut out like a certain phrase if I like what they wrote and put it in my book and like write about it and just like capture memories, quotes, whatever I wanted, just anything, anything at all. Wow. Do you, um, how do you say your journal kind of structures? I, I, could I think it depends on certain periods in your life, but do you find yourself writing with like black ink, just like in a line or are you kind of, will you be drawing pictures or having different colors that you use like what's your it process? depends it's funny if you look through them you can tell like what age I was when I was doing it because I went from like colorful pens and like stickers to like eventually like more mature like cursive and black ink um but it, I don't I'm not picky at all I'm like if I want to draw a picture I'm going to do it if I want to just copy a quote down that I like I'll do it I don't think at all it's like the one time I do things and I don't think I just free write that's funny because I feel like I'm the opposite that is like I used to try to make my handwriting like nice and like I can't like what is it right is it called uh like what's just like the normal letter not cursive writing like printing I guess so I but know. like mine is <laughs> atrocious like I can't even read it and so I can only handwrite yeah and so I was trying to make everything like perfect and structured like from an early age um but now I like love color and like mess and yeah. I love like notebooks with no lines and it's just like yes. something different to like you know, create this colorful little world. It's just like self-expression with not, no expectations. Like I don't expect yeah. anything of myself when I get in there. I just do it. And we, we don't give ourselves enough time to just be that way nowadays. There's always expectation. Yeah. There's always an end result you need out of everything you do. So like giving yourself permission to do that, I think is really powerful. Mm. Especially if you have like no lines, you're using whatever you want, like for medium, like it, it's cool. It's like freeing, it's liberating. I think I have a terrible habit myself personally, just like, picking up a random journal and writing in it and then I'll write in another book and I'll be yeah. like where did I write this one do you have like certain books designated or is it kind of a chaos it's kind of random um I have like certain ones that I use for like I call them like song seeds where if I just have like a verse or something I'll throw it in here and then use that as like a sketchbook book song together or I have one for like self-reflection um I have one for like goals like I I like to write um but it's kind of random I don't think too much about it at all well Whatever cool. I'm feeling. Yeah, I like to like accrue a lot and then like write <laughs> ideas. I like, oh, this one's my film one. And then I find yeah, like the uh, same yes. ideas in like a different one. 
I'm like, what the hell am I doing? It's just <laughs> scattered everywhere. But I kind of like like the chaos of it. Yeah. Like it's like, it's kind of like a little treasure hunt. I'm like looking for this idea. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's why stuff never gets done either though. <laughs> but, I love that yeah. about it. Like when I go on my computer and I look through my notes, I can just search any phrase and find it right away. Right. With my journal, it's it's a treasure hunt. You're like flipping. You're like, where's something good? Like, <laughs> I know. And then you like come across stuff that's not unrelated and you're just like, what? Yeah. What were you doing? It's okay, younger you, you know? Like, yeah. Nice. I found an entry recently where I was like crying because I thought I was going to fail math <laughs> and i was oh. like my life is over like and it was just like this huge thing for like I small t i found um it was like a grade like i don't know it was an elementary journal yeah. that they made us write and at the back like your teacher my teacher would like comment on stuff right and so it was like all this like oh yeah good job oh what are you doing this weekend oh that's fun la, la. you know like little things like that at the very end i was like <laughs> i was happy because i won something and then the teacher's like it's like she just wrote like oh she's like congratulations you know you're gonna win more things in life just being like kind and, and assertive and as i read it i was like reading it in my, uh, amongst my mother and my sister and as i read it i just like broke down in tears <laughs> i was like i heard like younger me be like i don't win anything you That's know powerful. i don't get anything and then yeah. what was even better is so like i'm i'm sitting there crying i'm like having this moment and my sister is laughing at me like yeah. just like relentlessly it was so funny but it's so yeah, those like little, they're so precious. Because you captured the emotion you were feeling yeah. and you put it into words and you access that emotion again when you found the words, like energy transfer. It's the same as like art. Mm. That's what happened when I read the journal entry to my God. I broke down crying because I was like, I am dealing with the same problems I dealt with 10 years ago. Wow. Like that's crazy that 15 year old me and 25 year old me at the time, it's the same, exact same things. Mm. About, about like, you know, OCD and is there a relation to your music making? Like, do you see that come up at all in say like the process of making a beat or a song or anything? And how does that look like? It's absolutely um, manic. Uh, so what happens is I create something and then I obsess over it until it's completely exactly how I want to. And I forget wow. to eat. I forget to sleep. I We'll stay up all hours of the night just like working and working and working and everyone's like oh my god you're the most productive person i know and i'm like yes because i can't rest until it's all exactly how i believe it should mm. be um and and that's probably the one area actually that i haven't tackled my ocd because i kind of benefit from it a little bit so i kind of ignore the fact that i'm a, work a workaholic and i think a lot of the rituals like that i was doing before i've just <laughs> I it's just songs now it's just the way i produce and and stuff and how I obsess over it, I've kind of channeled it that way, but that's probably the most, the biggest impact is like once I start something, I have to finish it and I have to finish it right now and it has to be exactly how I want. And if anything is even remotely not how I want, I'll sit and ruminate over it until it's exactly how I want. And like, luckily it has a positive outcome typically at the end, but it does create a lot of like, I feel like I'm like, ah, all mm. the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean like, I, I don't know, like, from the outside in that I could sense that, but just hearing your experience about making some of that, I can, like, like, is there is there an example in a song out of the work that you have out now that's, like, oh, that, that took me a long time to get to? Alice was a year and a half to make. Wow. Because it was the very first one I'd ever produced, and it was um, the very first song that, like, the Mitchell Lawler, the person I co-produced it with, was the very first one he'd made. Um, and it was really frustrating because I knew exactly what I wanted in my head, but I didn't have the skill and he didn't have the skill yet to execute it. And so mm -hmm. I was so 
upset about it all the time because I kept recording it and it kept not being what I wanted and I didn't know why yet. And it kept me up at night and I kept like abandoning it and being, I'm not, I'm not making the song because it'll never be as good as it's supposed to be in my head. Mm-hmm. And I recorded the vocals seven times because I kept being like, I didn't get the emotion. It has to be all scrapped. I have to start again. Wow. Um, and eventually the seventh time I heard it back and I was like, this, this is it. Like we did it. I can move on now. I've satisfied myself. There is a light at the end of this tunnel. I thought I was just like putting off releasing music because I was afraid, but no, it truly was. It just wasn't, it wasn't where I needed it to be yet. I still have that with songs. It just takes me a lot less time now because I've got the skill to sort of execute my taste and what I hear in my head a, a little more. But definitely in the beginning, like Alice took like a year and a half. My God took like at least six months, like just stupid amounts of time on, on one song to make sure that it sounds exactly how it sounds in my head. Right. I mean, I don't have a good sense of how long it takes to make a song, but that doesn't seem like that long. Yeah, I mean, like, if you go to a studio in the city, they'll bang your song out in a day or a weekend. Okay. Right yeah. at the back. Right. Because they're, right. they're, they're quick. Um, and I still take probably not longer than the average bear to write them. I write them very quick, but production, it's not my strong suit, so it does take me a little while, but now it's like a month, a couple weeks, I can get something pretty close. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I think we can, yeah, segue yeah. into like production because it looks like you put. I don't even think like taking a year and a half to to produce Alice because you were in that process learning production from scratch from scratch, yeah. which is Whoa. something a lot of people never really dip into because they think it's just impossible or they they can't finish it. So can you maybe go into your journey about why you wanted? Well, because you didn't want anyone to tell you what to do. Yeah, well, there was that. There was an element of, like, I don't want to listen to anybody. But also, like, I read at a very early age, it takes the average artist 26 songs to break. People who break, they had to release a lot of music to do so. Mm -hmm. And I realized very quickly, okay, well, $1,600 per song times 26. Yeah, that's a house. I actually Mm -hmm. can't afford this. So I don't have a choice. I was like, either you're going to learn how to produce by yourself or you're going to release two songs a year. And they're probably not going to go anywhere and you're going to be frustrated forever. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to buy the things and, and do the thing. And luckily, like, I was surrounded by people um, who had been producing. So they took me under their wing and they really, like, mentored me. And every time I got stuck, there was always someone I could, like, ask for help. Or um, I spent a lot of time um, going to studios and just sitting for hours and watching people do their work. And, like, just absorbing their knowledge and seeing, like, their tricks. Lots of time on YouTube, just, like, Googling things and asking questions and just sort of push through it out of necessity because I, I couldn't afford to do it any other way. Wow. Wow. Um, for, for someone that's not as educated in the musical process, like I feel I am not, what is producing a song? What goes into that? How would it maybe traditionally be and how do you approach it? Yeah, I think... Like, obviously, writing the song, um, you can do that a million different ways. Some people write and produce at the same time. Like, they'll make the beat while they write the words and the melodies, so it all kind of comes together holistically. I prefer to write the song first and then produce it because I'm not that fast at producing yet. So if I'm going to invest time in something, I want to know that I like the song first. Um, but writing the song, that's typically, like, your lyrics and melodies. Some people will just sing it, like, a cappella and be like, yeah, I wrote the song. Some people, it's a guitar, whatever. Producing is turning that into what you hear on the final record, adding all the instruments, um, arranging everything, tracking the vocals, blah, 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 blah. And then there's mixing it all um, and mastering it, which I don't do yet. I still hire people to mix for me because that's more like technical than I'm willing to go. I'd rather spend the energy on the creative part, the production. But yeah, that's sort of the, the distinction between the writing and the production side of things. 
Yeah, very cool. I mean, I've known a few producers in the city that do a lot of stuff, and I'm like, what does that mean? You know, like yeah. I never know. Is like, are you choosing the feel, or are you choosing exactly what sounds are in? Yeah. So yeah, it's sounds, instruments, arrangement, mm-hmm. where the energy is, where it's not, where the space is. Right. Hopefully, the artist comes to you with like a pretty good idea of what that is. But sometimes they don't. You make it up. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Kind of guess until you figure it out. Wow. Yeah. No, obviously, like, music is quite collaborative, right? I mean, you're reaching out to all these people to help in those different processes. What has your collaboration been like with other artists? Um, you're mentioning you're going off into kind of new new avenues with that. Yeah. And what is that like? I, work, I feel like I work with everybody. Like, I feel like we're in a <laughs> song with everyone in the city. I just like, um, well, when I was first finding my sound, I spent a lot of time co-writing because I didn't really know what my sound was. So it helped to have other people in the room to like bounce ideas off of and stuff and be like, no, keep going. This is good. It's not garbage. Like, you know, keep working on it. Um, a lot of it was clabbing out of necessity too. Like I didn't, uh, I didn't know how to do the things I wanted to do. So I needed someone else in the room. But now, now that I know how to kind of make music independently, I really take care to collab with people that are creatively exciting to me people who bring ideas that I wouldn't think about um I love when someone like gives me a beat or an instrumental that I would have never thought that I could sing on and just like writing to that and trying something new one thing I've been doing a lot lately is loop challenge again where I'll like go on Instagram and be like everyone send me like a beat or like a loop that you thought you you were abandoning that you weren't going to use and then I try to turn as many of them as I can into full songs in a day and post them all just to like show off other people's work because a lot of producers they like make these cool instrumentals, but they don't know any artists to like put them on. So they're just stuck with this hard drive full of like beats that aren't going anywhere. So I like to kind of connect with them and give them a platform and kind of give back. Um, And that also helps me like meet new producers and stuff. And it challenges me because sometimes people will send me like pop, trap, like soul, R&B. And I just have to like sit down and be like, what can you do with this? Mm -hmm. It's a cool challenge every time. Yeah, I can't believe you bang those out like in a day. <laughs> it's yeah. so much fun for me. It's like the most fun day every week. I just sit and like write whatever <laughs> bullshit's on my mind. And like typically they're all freestyles. I just play the beat freestyle on my phone. The first thing I get is usually what I run with. And I just tweak the lyrics to make them a bit better if they're they're lame at the first pass. Yeah, that's a, and that's a huge skill, right? I mean, I feel like people probably struggle to even like write a song in that amount of time. The whole day even yeah did you i'm curious did you do you find that you like do you read a lot or do you just listen to a lot of music and i guess you write which helps with the flow of words like what do you think helps you with being able to sing on the spot and come up coming up with all these lyrics journaling journaling okay because every day i'm sitting down just bringing words out of nothing so all I'm doing differently when I'm writing lyrics is singing them with a melody instead of writing them with no melody. It's mm-hmm. literally so exactly the same. So whenever someone wants to get better at journaling or at songwriting, I'm like, just journal. And they don't ever believe me, but I'm like, that's what worked for me. Wow. But also, like, I put my reps in, right? Like, it takes me 10,000 hours to get good at something. I've been writing songs since grade two. Like, I would hope that my rate of creation is pretty quick by now. Otherwise, I just spent a lot of years not getting better at something. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's just a matter of, like, um, journaling so that I got really good at not censoring myself and getting out of my own way and then just writing hundreds like over five six hundred songs by now lots of lots of songs yeah. <laughs> yeah. and you mentioned that you would go in to into studios or like production areas to mentor under someone how yeah. did you how did you step into that for someone who maybe is thinking about 
Um, typically, like I would never, and in any situation, you want to provide value before you ask for any. So I was very cautious to never just approach people and be like, can I come in the studio with you and watch you work and learn your secrets? Typically, it'd be like, okay, I want to hire you for this. Can I watch you do it and like take notes? And typically, they're like stoked for that. Um, and also, like I had a lot of friends at the time who were good at producing, but maybe not the best at singing or not the best at songwriting or they needed like a session player to like play guitar or whatever. So I would just trade hours. I'd be like, look, I'll help you write your songs. I'll sing for you whatever you need, teach you how to sing. You let me absorb your knowledge on like making beats or mixing or whatever it was. So that's that's typically what I do is just make sure that if you're going to ask someone for their time that you're giving them something back or else you're going to you're going to bother people. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, advice. Thank you. Great advice. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I kind of had a curious question. Like, I was listening to your songs, and I was kind of trying to define, like, what I felt the sound was and thus what kind of artist you were. But, like, you have such a variety of influences and experiences. How do you describe the music you've made that is that's available on Spotify and even the music that's coming out soon? Yeah, I think... Defining the music that's on Spotify is a lot more difficult than the music that's coming out soon, only because the songs that I've released so far, they were all co-produced, so they felt like um, they were 50% me and 50% someone else, and they're completely like left field from each other because I was just experimenting. Um, so I always struggled when I was pitching them to like press and blogs and stuff to even describe what my genre was. I was like, well, some songs are pop, some are hip-hop, some are R&B. Um, now, as I move forward into like my artistic career, genre-wise, it's still very difficult for me to categorize my music, but there are some things that ring true throughout every song. Um, I think vulnerable lyricism is one thing. Um, I think poetic lyricism is another. Like I've really taken the turn to just be like, I wanna, I wanna speak this way in my music. Mm. I think I write songs for people who, uh, not for people who wanna dance and go to the club, but people who wanna maybe take long drives in the car and think about their life, or people who are going through something and need to feel understood. That's what I'm trying to achieve with my music now is just like give something that people can connect with no matter what they're feeling and feel like what you're feeling is OK and you're understood. That's the goal um, in terms of defining it by genre. I don't really care to do that anymore. I think one of the artists that I really look up to is Anderson Pack. One thing that he said that really impacted me was I want to be so sure of myself as an artist that no matter what genre I'm singing, no matter who's producing it, no matter what beat it is, it sounds like me. And that's what I strive for as well. I don't care if it's a trap beat or a country song. It just has to sound like me. If it sounds like me and I feel like it was an authentic piece of art, I'm putting it out. I don't care if it plays next to my other songs on Spotify and sounds ridiculous. I'm just doing it anyways. Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of conviction to yeah. you know, stand <laughs> behind your work like that, right? And yeah. you do have a distinctive voice. I think as an artist, that's very important to have like your voice. Um, which I wonder if you feel like you've come to it because you said you spent four years being in a cover band where you were like, and just testing that out. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting that kind of had to do, put in so many hours before. I think every musical artist goes through an emulation phase where if you emulate all of your favorite artists before you find your own voice and you have to, because you have to learn how to write and, make your music and you do that by copying others that's how you learn anything so I, I went through that for years and then eventually I no longer needed to listen to reference tracks I just knew what it sounded like in my head I think part of it too is just giving yourself permission and telling yourself that like what you hear in your head is is good enough 
if I would have told myself that two years ago, I probably would have gotten here a lot sooner. But I was caught up in, oh, it has to sound like what's on the radio. Oh, it has to sound like my friends who are getting playlisted. No, it doesn't. Right. That's just, right. it's all lies that you, you tell yourself. So well, giving yourself permission a lot sooner to be like, what is in my head is good enough. Hmm. I think will help you bridge that gap and get past the emulation phase a lot sooner. Well, that makes me really excited for what the EP is going to be then. It's really cool. It's yeah. like when I wrote it, I was listening to a lot of um, Maggie Rogers. She was a big influence production wise. Um, there's a lot of nature influence. I really went back to like just missing like the forest. And like um, when I was writing the EP, I kind of realized I don't like writing on the computer that much. I wanted to go back to my guitar, write the songs first, feel them, know that they feel good and then produce them. So it's very different because I made them all myself. It's very cohesive. Um, it's an album that will make you think and, and feel what I was feeling in quarantine, which was a lot of self-reflection and a lot of um, sadness. Honestly, I went through a lot of sad things during quarantine and it all came out of my EP and I'm glad that it did. But yeah, it'll be a, it'll be something to listen to, like in the car when you're feeling down or like in your room, not when you want to party. <laughs> listen to my mm -hmm. trap album for that. It'll come out next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's my favorite kind of music. Like I love those kind of contemplative songs where you're listening to them in the car or like just crying at 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. Um. I know for me, when I was a kid, what really hit me is if I was feeling something and then I played a song and the words that they said were exactly what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. That was like, oh my gosh, I need to play the song 300 more times. Mm -hmm. That's what I try to write now is just exactly what I'm feeling, the most honest thing. And my only bar for a song now is, was I honest and does it sound the way that I wanted it to in my head? Nothing else matters to me now. Right. So. Wow. Now, like, again, yeah, kind of, again, sitting here in awe of, like, this, <laughs> you know, wondrous creative process that, honestly, I kind of envy. Like, I wish <laughs> I was able to, like, pump things out like you and, and just be so brave with what I'm going into. But I kind of want to shift the conversation a bit to kind of more the practical and financial side of things. Mm. I think, especially for someone young looking to get into art, you know, having these conversations with parents or other people around them, it's like, well that's not going to feed you, you know, get something solid. What has your own experience been in terms of being able to say, sustain yourself with the art or has it been a battle where you do a work on the side, but you also love the side thing? Yeah. I mean, I've never gotten to a point where I'm paying my bills with art yet. Mm -hmm. I think it will still be years before I'm paying my bills with art. It could be 10 more years. I'm okay with that. I think like I was told at a very young age, if there's anything else you can be happy doing besides music, go do that because your life will be so much easier. But for me, there was nothing else. So I was like, well, being poor is hard, but working a job you hate is also hard. Like, choose your hard. I choose to pursue something that hopefully one day will pan out for me. Um, but I've always worked a day job. I've had times where I've worked three day jobs at once to pay for my music. I've had like years and years where I didn't go on vacations. I didn't see my friends. I didn't go to parties. I didn't get to buy new phones or clothes or anything. I had to completely save my money and hoard it and spend every cent on my craft. And it was, it was a big sacrifice because it's like with any art, you have to spend so much money to make even a little bit. So it's like you're investing so much and you, you just have to be willing to accept that like Life is going to be hard no matter what path you choose. You have to be intentional about which hard you choose, which hard can you accept and, and deal with. Mm -hmm. I want to dig into like a little bit. I don't know what your own, like say, client work looks like. That mm -hmm. is, if you were to price your own work out for music, let's say writing for someone or whatever it else it could be. Has Have you run into a point where you're now needing to price out your own artistic work and 
value it in a dollar sense? And if so, what has that caused like conundrums within you? Yeah. Um, mm. For live performances, I think that's the easiest way to do it. Cause you're like, this is what my time's worth. This is what I'll sing for you for. If you don't want to pay me, whatever. I don't feel bad about doing that. Um, with creative work like songwriting or producing, the waters become a bit muddy because you can't necessarily base it on hours because you never know how long it will take to come up with a good creative idea. Right. And you don't want to try to create with someone under the pressure of, oh, I need to get this done in two hours. With me personally, and it's not the route that a lot of people go, I write so many songs by myself that I'm not really motivated by money. Like if someone sends me a beat and they're like, I'll pay you $300 to top line on this, but I don't like the beat. I'm not doing it, even if I need the money, because I'd rather work on stuff that I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. So typically, if someone asks me to like collab or like help them write a song, if they if I just like it and I like really like their idea, I'll do it for like a master split or like a songwriting split. So I'll get a percent on the back end of like royalties once the song comes out. Mm -hmm. If I don't like the song, people will typically charge like an upfront fee to top line or to songwrite. Sorry, what's what's top line? Top line is is when someone sends you a beat and you just write the vocal melody and the lyrics. So like you're essentially oh. like yeah, it's called top lining. It's actually hmm. complete sidebar. It was an oppressive term that was coined to diminish the work of female songwriters. People don't oh. really know that, but originally the the term songwriter was reserved for men, and then when women started songwriting, it became top liner to kind of diminish and make it seem less important. Oh, wow. I don't find it offensive, but if you dig, you'll sure, find you'll yeah. find that. But yeah, that's what it means. I don't charge for that because if, if I'm at a point where I don't want to work on something unless I'm making money, I already have a job that I'm not stoked on. I don't need another one. So I don't take on creative work that I don't like enough to do for a, a split. If, if I became like a bigger artist with some clout, then at that point I'd be like, yeah, this is my top line fee um, to feature for you. But right now I'm just trying to make art that I like. So it hasn't mm -hmm. been a big barrier. Now, you, you, you touched on, you know, women in music. Um, here in this small little city, Edmonton in the prairies in Canada, you know, what, what has your own experience been, you know, being a woman in music in Edmonton? It's been really like 50, 50. I've been really blessed in that, like a lot of the men in my life have been supportive and they've been the people powering me up and empowering me to do all the things that they do. I've also had a lot of men try to take advantage of me because I didn't know what I was doing. So they would like financially take advantage of me, lie to me about what the process looks like, um, lie to me about my own abilities. Like I had someone literally look at me in the face when I said I wanted to be a producer and be like, you can't just flip a switch and do that. Hmm. And I was like, would you tell a guy the same thing? Or would you tell him to go try it? Or like um, I've had experiences where I'll play a show and um, all my bandmates will be male and after the set, everyone like goes up to them. They're like, hey, good job, good job. And then they'll come up to me and be like, I think you should try this next time. And they'll they'll feel like they can give me like criticism. And, and I'm this like- This is people from the crowd. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how come you didn't say that to my, my male friends? Uh, or um, I, I'll post videos on Instagram. And instead of commenting about um, the performance, they'll be like, you should look at the camera more. You have a nice face. And I'm like, that's cool. But if I want to be a model, I won't I wouldn't be singing. I'm not here to look pretty for you. I'm here to show you what I can create from, you know, with the power of my mind. So, like, there's always an undertone of, like, it's not enough to be good at music. You also have to be pretty and you have to be an entertainer if you're a female. Mm. Um, and there's it almost feels like um, because it's a male dominated industry, they some people want to make you feel like you can't do the things they do so that you're always going to rely on them for it. Um, but once you realize that you can, it's, it's a completely different world. And luckily I knew enough men who were willing to be like, yes, you can do it. And we're going to show you the way. And I'm so grateful for that because otherwise it can be really intimidating. 
I'm just now starting to meet other female producers and I'm finding that to be like really awesome. Like my EP will be almost entirely worked on by females, produced, mixed, mastered, written. And I'm really proud of that because that means something to me in an industry that's 90 something percent male. Wow. Yeah. That is so huge. I mean, I don't have a sense of what the music industry is like even here, but I mean, for like a small little city, it seems like given everything you said, it's almost like a small miracle to kind of make something like that, right? Is that is that a little exaggerated or is I think, that? I think so. Like it, you experience a lot of microaggression as a, as a female artist. And ever since I was a kid, I was told, stand there, look pretty, wear what we say, write what we say. You are here to do what we want. And there was always some man driving it, whether it be a producer or a record label exec or someone who thought they knew better than I did about who I was. And a lot of women get in these positions where they feel like they need people to write their songs or make their songs or tell them what to do with their careers. And like, mm. if women would just realize we don't need them, we could all just do it. And I think that's been really cool to see in quarantine because we we went through this period of time where people couldn't go to the studio. They couldn't go see the, the guys that typically make um, their songs for them and with them. So we were all kind of forced to, to create on our own. And now mm. I'm seeing a lot more women dip their toe in the water of like beat making and producing. And it, it excites me because it's time. It's time for people to take the reins on their own careers and have that control that they deserve. They're the ones coming up with the creative ideas. They're the ones writing the songs. They deserve to be able to execute them without needing to pay someone thousands of dollars or rely on someone else's creative opinions to tell them what they're allowed to make. Mm. It gets me fired up. Yeah. Hate it. Yeah. yeah, I, I hate hear it. some of the rates um, producers charge, and it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, and it's it's Wh like what are these rates? Like, well, how much are we talking? Industry standard in the city. If you want to go to like a big studio and get a song made, you can expect to pay anywhere from fifteen hundred to two thousand for just the production, an extra four to five hundred for a mix, and then a hundred for a master. And oh wow. And then a marketing too. Yeah, and and, mar and the golden rule with music is um, half your budget goes to production, half of it goes to marketing. So it it's impossible. It's this insurmountable mountain. And then they're like, oh, well, we have payment plans and stuff. And like, that's cool. And if you're comfortable doing that, then like all the power to you. But what I think is dope is if you can get in the studio and make it yourself and not be under that pressure of like, oh my God, I just spent $1,500 on this and it didn't turn out exactly how I wanted. Yeah. Um, now that's not to say that these producers don't add incredible value. I mean, like someone's coming in with an idea and in a weekend, they're producing something that can be on the radio. It, that's huge value. And they deserve that money. And I wish that everyone had the money to be able to afford to do it. Because it's like, you see these artists have a great time. Kind of takes away the months of like grueling, working through a song by yourself. Like the value is tremendous. If I could have afforded it, I would have done it. But mm -hmm. I couldn't. So I was forced to take sort of this alternative path. And I wish that other women would take that path. Because it, it made my life so much easier in the long run. Even though for two years, I couldn't release anything. Because it took me so long to make, mm -hmm. make songs. I think you'll be, you know, on the forefront of encouraging women to do so. Young women so. as well, you know. Yeah. I sh I'm sure like even in, I can imagine even junior high, high schools, maybe even elementaries, there's probably like a hunger for this. You know what I mean? Um, even given your own experience of childhood back in the day, yeah. writing and wanting to like make music. I'm sure that there's so many ready to hear that. So Well, I remember like being a kid, every time I walked into a studio or saw pictures of a girl in the studio, it was always like some guy at the computer and then some girl on the couch behind him while he makes the song. And I found that really frustrating. So when I started to hear of artists like Taylor Swift, who they were writing their own their own lyrics and their own songs, people like Avril Lavigne, who were like really involved in their songwriting, that inspired me because I was like, oh, wait a second. Like, we can actually do this. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I heard that 
um, Taylor Swift had her first album and everyone was like, you're not actually writing your songs. You're getting producers to do it. So her second album, when she was like 16, 17, she's like, screw it. I'm writing it all by myself. Every song on this album will be written completely by me in its entirety. Mm. And since that moment, I'm, I was like, I will never have a co-writer write my lyrics with me. I will always, I'll always do it myself. And I want to eventually be able to own the mix and master too, just because I think like it's empowering. That's your power. Being able to make your art for free, you've now unlocked, you can release as many songs as you want until you get famous. But if you're limited by financial um, barriers, then you're not gonna be able to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to ask a question about like the kind of uh, streaming industry side of things. Obviously, that is a huge portion of where mm-hmm. the music industry is now, and everyone seems like they need to get on some sort of DSP, some sort of platform. With yourself, what is the the balance between just you know making songs and art you love and trying to eventually turn that into a profit. Um, I guess I'm not just outright asking like how much money are you making on Spotify, but mm-hmm. looking into how that structure works, where where do you see yourself grow into that? My, this is a bit of a hot take. I don't have similar views to most of my peers in the city in terms of the importance of streaming mm-hmm. and playlists and radio. The way that a lot of people see it is get a lot of streams, become famous, make a lot of money, you're an artist. But when you're listening to New Music Friday or um, Indie Chill Out or whatever the hell these playlists are, I don't listen to Spotify a lot, so I, don't, I can't even really name them. Um, how often are you hearing a song and being like, oh shit, I like this so much, I'm gonna go follow the artist, I wanna read all about them, I'm gonna go buy a t-shirt. Like how often are you actually pausing that playlist to go engage with that artist? Right. It's pretty rare. For me personally, a music lover who absolutely loves music so much, I've done that maybe twice in my whole entire life. Hmm. Streams and clout on Spotify do not always equal financial support and real fans. And that's the difference. You have to decide very early, do I want streams or do I want fans? And what I realized is I would rather have 2,000 fans who I know will show up to my shows, they'll buy tickets, they'll buy the t-shirts, they'll buy my exclusive album on Patreon versus 10 million streams on Spotify, but I can't sell out the aviary by myself. Like it's, you have to determine what success means to you as an artist, as an early age or at an early age, or you'll always feel dissatisfied. Some people, they make it their goal to get on playlists because it means something to them to know that their song got played 500,000 times. And that's okay. Like if that's what fulfills you as an artist, there is a path where you can make money off of streaming. If you get a million streams, I think it's like $5,000 if you own your master. A lot of artists don't own their masters. They're getting only a percent of that, like a fraction of it. But you can also go the route of, okay, I'm not going to get a bunch of streams and playlists, but slowly over time by putting myself out there in an authentic way, I'll build this fan base that's extremely niche and loyal that when I do drop a line of t-shirts or when I do have a show, they're going to show up for me because we have this like emotional connection that I've been fostering over a long period of time. So I think like I, I realized to me that was more important than streaming clout. I don't spend much time like pitching to playlists or blogs anymore. I realize like it doesn't it doesn't satisfy me the same way. If it happens for me, cool. But the way that streaming is set up, it's it's pretty hard to make money that way unless you're really really popping off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the thing too with streaming, and this is just like I guess information for people who are curious, is um, you get paid like a fraction of a cent per stream. And that fraction of a cent gets divided up between everyone who owns the master. So let's say that you're a new artist and you go to a studio and they say your song's going to cost you $2,000. And you're like, I can't afford that. 
So they're like, okay, we'll do it for you for 1,000, but you have to give us 50% of your master. So if the song takes off, we're getting 50% of the back end. You as an artist are now making 50% of a fraction of a cent per stream. It's becoming a lot harder for you. You're again facing this huge financial barrier that will prevent you from, from achieving that goal of making money. So they really have artists in a stranglehold right now of being dependent on streaming and needing it, but also not really getting anything from it. So for me, I just decided I'm not going to focus on that because it doesn't seem like a good ROI. I'd rather focus on um, putting myself out there in the best way I can, building connections over time. And maybe it will take me 10 more years than my peers to get the same streaming numbers. But hopefully at the end of that road, I'll have a really loyal fan base who doesn't just listen to me because I pop up on a playlist, but actively seeks out my music because we have that emotional connection. And that's the emotional connection I have with the artists I really love and look up to. So that's what I'm trying to emulate and like foster. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, it's, it's like asinine that you would get like a fraction of a cent for a stream. Yeah. Like that you're, you know, like your hard work yeah. is almost like nothing in yeah. that, in what they're paying out. Um, yeah. I mean, I follow some artists and I listen to some podcasts that it feels like they're like, they evangelize this notion of own your masters, you know, own your work. Cause if you're giving it away, as you said, you're giving away things you don't even realize and yeah like with with your work right now is that is that something that's like do you own all of your masters yeah so in the beginning because i was collaborating a lot of people were doing work for me for free it was appropriate then to do a master split because i was like well i can't pay you for all of this so what we work out a deal like okay you get this percent you get this percent whatever my ep now i own everything because i made it all no one else did any work for me for free um, no one cut me a deal. I'd, at this point in my life, I'm I'm proud enough of my creative ideas. I would rather pay people their fee for their work and not give them something on the back end and just own my catalog than um, have my catalog kind of held hostage by all these people that worked on it. Because I feel like as an artist, like people in the industry want you to think that it's about the production, it's about the beat, it's about the name, but really it's about your creative idea. And without your idea and your song, the production doesn't mean shit. And a lot of artists get tricked into thinking they need that. But it's like, no, you're the one who brought the sauce. You deserve to own the master. And if the song takes off, that was your creative genius. Like, you deserve to get paid for that, not the person who produced it for you. Like, that's valuable. Pay them their rate for doing that. But they shouldn't deserve to own your creative. You're right. It's yours. It's yeah. so weird to me. Wow. Yeah, that's like, yeah, I mean, it, it's such an interesting notion because of, everything switching to like a streaming platform right like it feels like back in the day the goal was to like get signed by a label and of course there was their own back-end deal where they would own the majority of your masters and records and sales mm -hmm. um but like things have shifted so much that you know it's kind of refreshing to see like a person like yourself cares so much about the art that's coming out not to be like i need to yeah so get signed and get famous right yeah, yeah like that that the art takes precedent and the fan too like the fan your individual fans and like having a close-knit niche community where they care about like buying like let's say a signed vinyl record or like some merch for example hmm. um and like having that i think that's very tangible versus like just these streams that are numbers on a digital platform that like your songs are playing day. in the background of people's like social events they're not like looking for them so when they're playing these things like some people do but it to me it's different and like I don't know. I, I think like my, my relationship with my, I don't even call them fans. They're just like people I'm connected with on the True. internet. 
um, it's really cool because things like Loop Challenge, like I'm writing songs with my fans every week now. And it's like, that's powerful. They'll remember that. Like I have people be like, I didn't think I was ever going to make music again. But when you sang on my beat, it made me realize that I can do this. Like my songs can be songs. And like, that's to me how you make a bigger impact than like your song coming on in the car when they were driving to work that right. morning. Um, and, and for me, I've always connected the most with artists that I have that connection with. So I've just always kind of strove for that, even though it's, it's a much longer um, path to follow. So, so, I mean, like I can't help but look forward to your trajectory in terms of like what you feel that path would be. And so I like, I, I can't help but ask like, what does the future look for you, you and your music? And like, is there a goal to eventually say a mass, say a larger fan base, a larger, a larger group? And is that still going to be community based or what, what other goals do you have with your music? Yeah, for, for a long time, I wanted to create enough noise that I would get signed. Obviously, like everyone's like, oh, like Sony, Universal, like that's the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel everyone's working towards. And then I found out that this, the success rate of major label artists is something like 1.8%. 1. 1.8% right. of signed artists make enough of their advance back that their label doesn't drop them. Wow. Wow. That sucks. That's insane. So for me, it's like, well, I can take on an advance from a label and trust how they want to spend it, or I can go take out a loan at the bank and have full control over that money. And I would rather do it that way. So I no longer really think about how can I get signed and have somebody else put my own career on. I've accepted the fact that I'm not a cute 15 year old anymore and no one from Universal is gonna come sweeping in and have me a career. I have to do it myself. So for me, what do the next like five, 10 years look like? Putting out tons of music, I think like looking at my favorite artists, Russ is my favorite artist ever, period, hands down. Love him so much, um, could go on forever about it. But what he essentially did was he just released so many songs that eventually he was making too much money on streaming and he's like, I'm, I'm over it. Like, and it wasn't from getting on playlists. He never got on playlists. He never got on the radio. He just built so many genuine fans. He was, before he even got signed, he was selling out like stadiums just on his own because he wow. built such a loyal niche fan base by releasing a song a week for 87 weeks until people cared. He literally <laughs> sat down, he wrote, produced, mixed, mastered a song a week 11 albums worth of songs before anyone cared. And eventually his money just went up and up and up because more and more people were finding him being like, whoa, this guy is like doing it. He's being authentic. He's being himself. He's totally being an industry disruptor. He's not doing it the way that everyone else is. And I see myself following that same path, just producing more and more and more music, connecting with more and more and more fans until eventually it's like, I've built a career. I'm making the money, whether it's people buying the merch, people coming to shows, my idea of success at this point in my life is can I live a comfortable life only making money from music? Once I've done that, I've succeeded. What does comfortable life mean to me? Maybe like a slightly higher quality of life than I have now. Like maybe this standard of living with more money to invest into my art. I would be happy with that. I don't really look at like Billie Eilish and go like, I want that for myself anymore because I had a taste of getting criticism from thousands and thousands of people I didn't know and be, being not in control of my own career. And I, I didn't enjoy it. So for me, it's like, how far can I take it by myself or working with people that I really want to work with because I feel like they genuinely care about me versus um, having a big team and a label and all of that fun stuff. In, in terms of how to get there, I think the next biggest step for me would be potentially teaming up with a label for distribution. Like if a label like Sony or Universal approached me now, I'd be more like, 
I want to make the songs. Can you help me promote them? Can you help me in that sense? And I think if you're an artist who doesn't have um, a, a career established or a brand established, you can't really ask a label for that. But if they approach you once you've already created that for yourself, you have a lot more power to be like, no, these are the terms that I want. So I would like to get to a place where I, I would have that power in a, in a meeting room. And I don't yet, but that's sort of the goal is to be like established enough that you can be like, this is what I want from you. Do you want to do this with me? Right. Yes or no kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. I, again, like <laughs> can't help but say it often, but in awe, you know, like in awe of that goal. Yes. Thank it, you. It feels like many people would just want that, like, oh, to pop off and get on a playlist or get that attention. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, are, are you interested in other endeavors? Like by, by that, I mean, like um, scoring for film, um, other audio visual projects. Um, have you thought about those things and what, is, what do maybe those look like? Yeah, I think um, for me, I have a lot of like musical alter egos that I would like to explore. Um, like I'm starting sort of an electronic thing with a really good friend of mine, a female producer. Um, so that'll be like a little electronic duo to explore the side of me that really likes EDM. I have a side of me that really likes hip hop and likes to rap and wants to explore getting better at that and eventually do it and not feel corny. Um, but for me, I don't want to stray too far from music. Like I, I know I've known for a pretty long time that that's what drives me. I literally have songs in my head at every second of every day. Um, so I think it will always be music, but definitely could get more into helping um, other artists. Like if I were to ever not make it as an artist myself, I think I would want to get into artist development um, because I think I spend a lot of time understanding who I am. I can help other artists get there without 10 years of agony. Um, so that's probably where I would transition later in life if I felt like, okay, I've tried the music thing. It didn't go as planned. How can I help other people learn about themselves and not make the same mistakes that I did? Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I don't mean pass on what you know. Yeah. Teach Absolutely. someone else. There's so many pitfalls in this in this shit. You have to look yeah. over each other. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness! Wow. I'm, my mind's like reeling. You know, like I wanna, I wanna dig into so much. You've done great on the interviewing Toronto. I'm just sitting back and enjoying. <laughs> no, no, no. Of, you've had. You got the research. You've had popped. great question. The research popped on this. Um, I don't. I don't know that I have like too much more to dive into. I still have a few questions floating around in my mind if you have the energy yeah. to keep going. Hell yeah. This has been so I good. I said I was going to talk a lot of shit. I mean, <laughs> I this is good. Um, so that's a Britney Spears conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole child, like, it's dangerous, like, having these huge, like, machines telling people how their music should be. Children. Who Children. they? And it's not yeah. just their music. They tell you what you should look like, what you're allowed to say, what you're not allowed to say, who you're allowed to associate with, who you're not allowed to associate with. They take away all of your control and your sense of self. And if you don't have a strong sense of self and you maybe get dropped by that label later on, that can devastate you as a kid. And that can... A lot of people quit music forever after going through something like that. And so, yeah. like... It's dangerous. It really messes with your self-worth. It really messes with your sense of self, what your morals are. You completely, your compass is just completely spun around and it takes a lot of work to get back. And mm -hmm. yeah, they need to do a better job of preparing children. Like if you're going to be working with literal children in an industry this toxic and dangerous, mm. you need to give them the skills to navigate that instead of just throwing them into the fire and being like, how come you went crazy, Britney Spears? I can't believe you had such a good life and you went crazy and shaved your head. Like, of course she did. Yeah, you no know? Kidding. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I'm going to take another sidebar shift here. Um, I wanted to ask some different questions. Where did you get that shirt? Value Village. That is an amazing shirt. Thank you. Is that a, a cobra? Yeah, it's a snake. A rattlesnake? I thought you may have painted it for a second. It kind of looks like a like a Gucci shirt. Cause everyone right. says that. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's just like an embroidered thing. I love Value Village. I buy all my clothes secondhand. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. my way of being like, I hate fast fashion and I don't support it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, thank you. Yeah, no, no, that 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 actually yes. wasn't the question. It just popped. Up I think mind. your fashion journey is also very fascinating <laughs> because you, her, like, you should have seen. Maybe just talk about your fashion journey and yeah. what you were wearing like a few years ago and how that shifted. Yeah, like even two years ago, I was working in an office because I've had the same day job for like seven years now. Um, so I was I was very much dressing like a middle-aged soccer mom <laughs> who shops at Reitman's. Nice. Um, and, and I mean, like, like he like those middle middle length heels with like dress pants and a cardigan and like a cami and like a necklace and earrings and a purse, <laughs> a big purse. <laughs> nice. And I had like hair extensions and I was just doing what everyone else was doing. Um, and then I, I met more. I started writing music again. I got involved with like the artist community and I started spending time with people. Um, who were very much themselves and dressing weird and expressing themselves and taking these cool photos and visually just being unafraid to not follow trends and be themselves. And slowly I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, and started exploring that. And I had um, obviously people in my life who really helped me do that. Like people, I had people who would like take me shopping before my photo shoots, give me advice, like send me pictures of outfits they like. Like it was a conscious effort to be like, I want to dress more like myself, but I don't know how. So I, I needed to try a lot of things. And now I feel like I'm at a point where if I'm going somewhere, I can be like, oh, this is what I want to wear. This is how I want to express myself today. But for a long time, there was a fear of like, I need to look like everyone else. So I was always trying to do that. Very mm-hmm. liberating to be like, it doesn't matter what I wear. No one gives a shit. I'm going to do what <laughs> <Yeah>. I want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, during during COVID, I like just wore sweats and like just like t-shirts that I loved. The uniform. And so it was like not, <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. I would, I would go and help film something like weekly and every time I'd show up, I'd just be like, I'd feel like a bum, but it felt so good. I was like, I'm never wearing normal pants again. Like, it felt like so good to just like take a break and like not worry about how I, how I felt. It's but, nice. Uh, yeah. It is a nice break. But yeah, now I feel I'm like it's like, almost on trend these days to like look completely quirky and weird because right. even growing up, I, I always dressed weird and people would be like, I wore like thrifted clothes. I'd wear like. Sh- like layered clothes like almost like what yeah, did you do like, like the mini skirt over the jeans totally and yeah. like i wore <laughs> weird shoes with yeah. like col- lots of colors which mm-hmm. i always still do i never got yeah. into the whole minimal beige look aesthetic yeah. but uh, lots of colors and i think i don't know i personally love colors people get really happy they're like i would never think you would put that and that together or like yeah. this and this and it's almost like that that dare that's like pretty much the only level of daredevil activity i do is for my clothing sadly. great at it but <laughs> it's funny that you say that about dressing weird as a kid i remember in elementary school <laughs> me and my best friend were kind of like weirdos and we had this thing called weird wednesday where we try to put together our weirdest outfit and wear it to school wow. every week and people would laugh at us and i was like i don't care i feel cool i look cool i don't give a shit what you think um oh, nice. and I, and then like slowly as i started to move back to the city and get my corporate job or whatever i i I became like influenced by society and you should be this and blah, blah, blah. And then I had to go back to my roots of being like, no, I want to be who I am. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing talking about like fashion and what's expected of females and trying to break away from that and just be 
yourself. I like dressing like a boy most of the time. Yeah. Like, I like boy clothes. They're so comfy. I can. I always say I don't wear dresses and heels because I can't run from my attacker in dresses and heels. I need to be in sneakers and joggers so I can always get away from all the danger. And see, I, 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 like Gerardo loves dresses. I, yeah, I, I'm like I wish. Like I mean, I guess now it's like way more acceptable for a yeah. guy to wear a dress. But I look at the variety of like not just like dresses, but like the cuts of clothes and the fabrics, especially the texture of the fabrics. Mm-hmm. Like women have so much more variety. And I like, for instance, like just even walking through like Simon's, mm-hmm. like you see guys like, okay, there's your t-shirts, your suits and your expensive pants. And then women, it's like, there's this beautiful blouse that just flows with the right way. And it's like this amazing texture. Yeah. And I just like, I, I feel so creepy. Like I want to touch it. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. I'll never get to wear this, but I, I, I wish there was more variety. Like, I want more, like... You just have to shop in the women's section. Yeah. I, I have a few times. <laughs> Actually, I remember I remember when I was in high school, um, <laughs> I wore a pair of my sister's jeans because we were, like, the same size. And I was like, these, like, fit great. And they feel amazing. The only thing was, I was like... Fake the- pockets, probably. Yes, no pockets. Uh, what yes. is going oh, what on? What the hell is up with fake pockets? Yeah. <laughs> and the crotch was like noticeably tighter. Yeah, it sucks. I was like, oh yeah, okay, this is not that fun. But yeah, I mean, I've always hungered for like more of a variety than the kind of standard male put togetherness. Although I really like that standard male put togetherness. Mm, yeah, like I like I, when I watch Mad Men, like that fifties vibe, yes. I'm like, mm, yeah, let's go. Yeah. I do agree <laughs> with the variety of women's clothing. I think it's used against us sometimes, though. Mm. Um, like all the variety, they use it in a way that they make us feel like we're always off trend unless we're buying this new thing that's in trend. Oh, yeah. it used to be that there was oh. four Screw trends. Screw yeah, trends. that's how <laughs> yeah. I feel. It used to be that there was four seasons a year of clothing, and that's how the trends were set. Now there's something like 52 in the fashion world. You're always what? off trend. You buy a shirt last week, you're already out of date. You're already behind and they make you feel that way. So it's like, yeah, I feel like it's been the reason that women's clothing is a lot more different. This is my opinion is because they know that we'll keep buying it because they always make us feel like we're not on trend. Whereas guys are just like, I'm wearing the same T-shirt I had in high school. I don't give a I don't give a damn, you know. Yeah. Um, But I think it can also be really empowering if you're just like, I don't care about trends like you said. And you're like, I'm just going to buy whatever I want whenever I want and Mm -hmm. realize that this is all fake. It doesn't matter. Uh, For Halloween last year. I was trying to find a, uh, like a, I, th- I was going to go as a woman. I don't know what, like what specific, like <laughs> a famous woman or something. But like, hello? Like, I have no idea. But I was looking through dresses at Value Village and I felt like super like, okay, I'm either like super pervy right now to all the women or something's off, right? So I, I was like looking for dresses and I was like putting them against myself. And you know, there's like women walking by. I'm like, yeah, I'm looking at this. Um, but I kind of came across these like, it was, um, oh, how do you describe them? They're like a Middle Eastern, like, single piece. Like yes. a sari? Right. Kind of. Not a sari. Kind of like a tunic or like a... Yes. Okay. Like Cascans? a tunic. That's right. Yes. And they're always beaded to perfection. Exactly. Yeah. And so I found, like, amazing, beautiful colored versions. I'm like, wait, these look, like, good. And I, I'm like, I could, like, fit in that. I tried some on. And I was blown away. I was like, <laughs> this is amazing. And I actually beautiful. wore it that night. It was like this beautiful velvety blue. It had like amazing beads. I was like, can I just like wear this like regular? I give it to my mother, but I, I wish I would have kept it because yeah. it's so, it's so, it's such a, it was like a, such a freeing piece, you know, to like wear. And it's a shame that I could only did that on Halloween, but. It's awesome I'll to have those pieces more. of clothing that make you feel so good. 
Yeah, yeah. Even if they're not Sometimes I wish I was a performer, like a singer, because then I would be like, I'm so much more justified to wear crazier outfits, especially on stage. Like David Bowie, for example. Oh, yeah. You know, and some of these, you know, you can just like wear complete, you can be a whole other alien or person Mm. and character. And you can still do that. But people in Edmonton will look at you. I mean, like, people yeah. will look at you in Edmonton no matter what you're doing. That's true. <laughs> people are like, how yeah. dare you, I don't know, do literally anything. Cross the street, they're, like, glaring. They're like, you're making me wait two seconds before I can drive through the intersection? <laughs> yeah. How dare you? Edmonton's probably not the best place to be stunting your craziest fashion choices, but I think you should do it anyways. Yeah, I, I lived in New York for a year. Yeah. And then I came, when I came back here, I felt like, like, I did my, my, my styles didn't, like, change over there. But, like, being around all these people who are, like, you know, ultra expressive with everything they wore coming back here i was like we're so tame like even like very very creative people it's like yeah it's like that was like i saw people do that like last year sort of thing but yeah it's it's weird it's i mean it also kind of speaks to our art and our our work i imagine um I, i had a question about like your live performances what was that like before covid like with your own music yeah i'd actually only i played my very first show ever as a solo artist in february and then COVID happened oh but it was great it was awesome it was crazy because it was like packed and like when i played alice everyone knew all the words and they were singing them and i was like what the hell like i don't know i don't know these people but i met a lot of them on instagram and they rode for me and they they came to the show and it was so awesome to see um i love performing live i like to go crazy on stage i'm like a completely different human and I really miss it, and I can't wait to like sweat and sing in public again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think in be- in between now and then, like live shows becoming a thing, I'm gonna start playing like acoustic ones because I have that part of me too that just wants to sit in a coffee shop and like sing my songs. So I think that's gonna be the next chapter while while we're still not allowed to like fill venues. Yeah, for sure. What was your like? What was your setup for that show? Like, was it just you and instruments? Yeah, I I went the route of hiring two musicians and then we had backing tracks. And I realized I don't want to do that again because I don't like having backing tracks. And the reason I don't like it is because when I was playing with the Barkells, there was always five other people playing with me. So if I made a mistake or I felt like riffing on a section for a bit longer than normal or whatever, um, I could do that and the band would follow me. Your backing tracks are ruthless. They don't follow you for any reason. Um, And I also feel like introducing more technology to a show, a lot more things can go wrong. And I did have technical difficulties at that show because of the backing tracks. And so it was just like a signal from the universe that that's not my vibe. I would rather play a more strip set next time with only real musicians than Mm -hmm. have tracks at my show. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a control thing. I like the control of knowing what's going to happen and knowing that humans can react with me. Computers don't do that. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I've, I've done a bit of live performance, not because I'm a musician. Well, whatever. Um, I played in like our church band for a while. And a lot of it became, we're listening to these tracks and we're doing it this way. And we even like moved away from having like a, a, a day of practice throughout the week. And like my heart kind of was like slowly dying because of it. Like I, I missed that live those moments of like live energy we would have and we would still be on the track but like we would be able to like turn to each other look and have like a little riffy moment or something spontaneous yeah something fun you react and like you know not a knock on them or how churches do that now but like my heart's not in it because now it has just become backing tracks and there's no even practice now it's just like here are your parts here's how they play it 
come together and do it. And it's yeah. just like, it, for me, it sucks the soul out of what like should be like this big ethereal thing, you know? And yeah. I felt that way too. I actually got my start singing in church. That was oh, why wow. I kind of learned how to be on stage and, and work with other people in the music space. Um, I think church is a little different because it's not really about the music. It's more about like bringing people together. So I can understand why they don't want to create the most spontaneous live performance experience ever. Mm -hmm. But definitely when it's when it's your own music and you're performing it, um, I personally found that like having a click track in my ear going t -t 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 the whole time mm -hmm. I'm trying to sing, it just kind of killed it for me. I want to move with the song. If I want to slow down in the bridge because I'm really feeling it, I want to slow down and I want my band to follow me and like feel it. Mm -hmm. Music to me has always been about feeling. And if I'm bound by like this rigidness of technology and this like ticking in my ear, I don't feel the feeling. The other thing I did at my last show, which I'd probably do differently next time, is I had in-ear monitors in. So I was hearing oh, everything yeah. in my ears, mm -hmm. whereas all my experience has been hearing it in the room. And yeah. I feed off that energy. I love to hear the reverb. I love to hear what people are like, like the, the chatter. Yeah. Like, I, I just love it. So I felt like that really disconnected me. And I just, it was just a matter of experimenting and being like, this is what, what I enjoyed. This is what I didn't. Next time it'll be a lot more organic, a lot more loosey goosey. Yeah, yeah. Feel it out kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's different using in your monitors. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I have no experience with music. Okay. I mean, in short, it's like, imagine like, Imagine like you doing a photography portrait session, yeah. but all of your cues are through like an earpiece. And so you could only do those cues and you know, all the instructions uh, right through it. And nothing, it's, you can't, you can't veer yeah, and you at can't all. veer That's off of it because so it'll change. awful. Oh, and then it's, if, it's if you have so a cool different. idea halfway through the shoot, you're like, I want to do this, but my ear is telling me to do something else, so I can't. Exactly. And then you're, I found like I was focusing more on what was happening in my ear and, and following it than just yeah. feeling what I wanted to do. Yeah. That and does sound like a lot of corporate work though, when you do, because I've been on set Mm -hmm. on corporate shots and it's like they're they're communicating with the business director like we need it to look like this yeah and you we need it to look like this there's no other way like this right so and there's a time and a place too there's a time and a place yeah. for sure. yeah. like if you're if i'm on jimmy kimmel they're probably going to be like this is what we expect from you you need sure. to start and stop here you want everything to be perfect especially if you're hiring players who aren't familiar with your your songs they need cues to like help them get through right. it but yeah. for now I'm going to take advantage of being a small artist who can do whatever the hell I want. There will be no click tracks going yeah. forward until I have a label that's like, you have to do you it. You want stripped tracks yes. tonight. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. So wait, is this a thing? You have a song for I'll us? play a song for you. Yeah. Oh, my God. That would be I'll such a I'll play you a, a new joy. one off of my EP. Okay. First time Super ever. Super good. Super good. I think, yeah, we'll, we'll take a little break before that gets you set up and yeah. um, properly mic you and such. But is, uh, is there anything else? We're now at like the two hour mark, which cool. has been great. Flew by. I could probably stay here another two hours and just talk. <laughs> but is there anything else? Uh, I don't know. We should ask or address Emily. I just looked over at uh, 15 year old you <laughs> singing Liar Liar. That's amazing. That's I amazing. So sweet. Don't know. This is like, I'm a podcast newbie. Gerardo, you're doing wonderful, I have to say amazing yeah and you guys are doing great both of you the insights and advice advice you have imparted tiana is amazing yeah. like Thank i you. think there's some really key gems here um that i think a lot of artists and just people in general can learn from and take um another question maybe perhaps would be i don't want to stray too off our topic but okay. your your thought just we'll do too your thought on grants Mm -hmm. and any sort of shout outs you want to give to some other artists oh wow 
Um, so we'll start with the grants and maybe we'll end with the shout outs. Yeah. Grants. Yeah, grants are a necessary evil. I think like they're, they're awesome. They can really empower artists to make art that they otherwise wouldn't be able to afford. I've personally never got a grant, so I can't speak to what it's like to get free money from, from people. I apply <laughs> for them all the time. They always tell me no for whatever reason. I don't care. I'll keep applying for them. I don't take any offense to it. That's a good ethic because I hear people yeah. they'll apply like maybe two or three times and they'll be yeah. like, it's not worth it. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So I think the fact is they'll just keep applying. Well, it depends on how much pain it causes you as an artist. Like, That's true. The thing is, at my day job, I spend all day every day writing business cases and proposals and projects. So it's no skin off my back to sit down and be like, write out a business plan for two days. Most artists, that's grueling months of work, or they have to go pay a grant writer a couple hundred bucks to do it. So it's not as accessible for people. If grants are causing you a lot of pain all the time, my advice would be, screw it. Just focus on making good art so you don't need the grants because you can make your art by yourself without paying someone. Like, If it really hurts you to do it, you're probably not going to get it anyways because it's such a big pool and there's not much money. So just screw it. If you can do it, if you can power through it, you don't mind doing it. I think you should keep going because once you have a good template, you can just kind of keep recycling it and it will get easier every time. But you have to go into grants understanding a few things so that you don't feel bad about yourself. Number one, there's data you can look at that shows you who the grant recipients are and how close they live to the offices that distribute the, the grants. Um, most of the people who, for example, receive Factor live around the office in Toronto, like a, a stupid percentage of them. Wow. So if you live out here and you're not getting Factor grants, you can't be too hard on yourself. Like definitely try to be your best self all the time, but don't take it too personal. There is an ele element of like being in the club. The other thing you have to keep in mind is a lot of the people on the juries have never done what you're trying to do. Um, there's no real bar for being on the jury except for like being in the music industry. So someone who's never made a pop record could be critiquing my pop record that day. And if they just don't really like pop, I'm not gonna get the grant because they just, for whatever reason, subjectively were like, no. And it can be really discouraging to get 10 grant applications back and um, they're all saying like, we're, you're not good. But if you really look at who's on the jury, you're like, would I ask you for career advice? If the answer is no, should you be carrying that criticism with any weight? Like probably not. Mm, yeah. You know, um, so that's something to keep in mind is that the people critiquing your work with grants have probably never actually done what you're trying to do. So take it with a grain of salt. If you're not getting it, it just means that they subjectively didn't want to give you the money for whatever reason. Um, a lot of people also go on the jury to make friends with the people on the jury so that they can like have that influence. Mm. So there's an element of like being in the club. Um, and I don't want to say all these things to be like, it's not my fault. I'm not getting grants. That's not at all like. The onus, you have to carry that responsibility and do your best. And you can't always blame other people when you're rejected. Rejection is a natural part. But when you get rejected, it softens the blow to know all the various reasons why it could have happened. Mm. So that you don't blame yourself and just go, oh, my music wasn't good enough, so I got told no. So understanding how it works and sort of the club aspect to it can make you kind of feel better and just accept the reality that it's free money and there's a good chance you won't get it. But if you do, you just got some free money. So like, hell yeah. So I think my advice about grants is like, do it if it doesn't cause you that much pain. There are a lot of people who, if you like make friends with the right people, they'll share their grant templates with you and that can be really helpful. Um, a lot of these grant offices also offer free consultations that people don't know about. So if, if you're smart and you don't wait till the deadline, the 11.59 on the date of submission to submit your grant, you can write it in advance. You can ask to meet with someone um, from the office. They'll review it. They'll tell you where the weak points are. You can go back and revise. But... A lot of creatives and musicians don't think that far ahead when it comes to the boring shit like grants. So they miss out on that opportunity. So that's a great thing to do. If if you're going to spend the time writing a grant, you may as well 
do your best at at making sure that you you gave them what they wanted, which the consultation is such a great free service that even I've never actually used. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I should though. <laughs> um, so that's my thoughts on that. Like do it if you want to, but if you don't want to, you could also just get good at making your own music. So you don't need $2,000 to do it from the government. Just, yeah. I think the more appropriate path. Nice. Yeah. Um, in terms, in terms of shout outs, Mitchell Lawler obviously has been like the person who like when I met him, I wasn't writing music that much. And he was like, you should do this. You're really good at it. And he was the one the whole time that was like, keep going, keep going, keep going. He like helped me buy my whole studio. He showed me the way with production, like for no reason, no motive other than like, I want to see you win. And he does that to a lot of people in the city. He's always building people up and encouraging them and teaching them the way. So like, that's really powerful. He also really encouraged like individuality and like uniqueness and not just conforming to what other people were doing. And I think that's really important to have influences in your life that are like that. And then the other person that I would shout out is Kat Blimel. She goes by Oblivion on Instagram. She's a female producer. She's super dope. She's probably like the most talented producer I've worked with so far. Um, and what I really like about her is she has the same mindset of me as like, and her whole thing is like, I don't care how much money or how much clout I could get from something. I'm not making this art unless I really want to. I just want to make good songs that I feel good about because I love music so much that like, that's the only reason I do it. And for me, that's the kind of people I want to work with is people who I know are in the room with me because they simply just want to make good songs and whatever else happens is like a bonus. Um, So I, I think like, she's going to have a really dope career of everyone trying to work with her really soon. But Mm. um, for now, it's just been awesome to like work with her and write with her. And I've written some of like the best songs I've ever written with her and just like Mm. female producer, like more of that, please. So yeah, people should definitely check out those two artists. I think there's a lot to learn from them. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Indeed. Um, I have just two more things to ask of you and then we can wrap it up. Cool. Um, And now my mind's blank. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, they're not questions. So Starstruck. The first, <laughs> most definitely. The first one is simply a song or an artist recommendation. Anything, anything you need, you think that we need to hear or that should be out there. The second thing, I kind of want to just give you the opportunity for people to reach out to you if mm. you want to collaborate. Part of the goal of all of this is to create some sort of network where someone can just say, whoa, she makes that. That's awesome. I want to reach out and work together. So maybe you can just share where the best places to reach you at, whether it's, you know, Spotify, email, Instagram, what, whatever cool. it is. So, yeah. Um, it's not a music recommendation, but okay. My favorite artist, Russ, uh, he wrote this book called It's All in Your Head. And it takes about an hour and a half to read it. It's an audiobook or paper, depending on what you want. Um, that book changed my life. It changed my life to hear the advice of how someone did it and they did it exactly how I wanted to. And his whole thing is just talking about like all the mental pitfalls of trying to pursue this artistic career um, and how to overcome them and how he overcame them, whether it be like mental work or literal, literal tangible things that he did throughout his career to get him from knowing literally nobody to being one of the biggest artists in the world as an independent, like incredible journey, incredible accomplishments. People shit on Russ because he's so arrogant. But the book is like some of the most profound, insightful learnings I've ever, ever read in my life. And it's so worth it. And it's like super cheap. So um, it's, it's called all, It's All in Your Head it's all in your by head. Russ. I'm writing that. Written, produced, mixed, mastered. <laughs> he even sneaks his music in there. Um, but it's, it's a life-changing book. And I recommend it to literally everybody who says they want to make music or art in any sort of capacity. Um, in terms of where to reach me, I'm T Andaland on everything. Um, 
Instagram is where I interact with people the most. You could also be one of my 12 followers on TikTok. I uh, release videos all the time that no one watches. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Tianda Land on everything is how you can find me. And I love to um, hear from people. And I especially love when people send me stuff they want me to sing on. So uh, spam me with instrumentals and beats. I love it. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, I have nothing more to say than thank you. Thank you. You've been incredibly insightful. Um, you've dropped an incredible amount of wisdom and knowledge. <laughs> I mean, I'm inspired. I'm inspired as thank well. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so thanks so much for, again, letting us in your space and yeah. sharing your experience with us. Thanks for coming. No doubt. And with that, to all our listeners and watchers, thank you for joining. Um, this has been another episode. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. <laughs>